what it meant to step into the realms of faith and receive things by faith in the Word of God. I stepped into the realms of grace that are under that are under the law of faith. And when I stepped into this world of faith, that's when I began to see the Lord do awesome miracles, creative miracles. I began to see Him answer my prayers like I had never seen Him answer my prayers. And I stepped into a world that has allowed me to walk in complete divine health for the last 20 years. And since it works for me, it's got to work for you just like it did for me because the first 45 years of my life, I didn't know how to make it work for me. But then the churches that I was associated with didn't know, and they were not able to teach me. But I was seeking the Lord and diligently seeking the Lord, and, and I was reading the Word of God, and I was walking in obedience to His Word. I was going to church every time the door was open. I was serving as a Sunday school teacher. I was serving as a deacon in the church. I was walking holy before God, but I still couldn't get a prayer answered. I didn't know what was wrong, but there was something wrong. So I began to seek the Lord to see what was the problem. And He began to talk to me and begin to reveal to me the truth of the Word of God. And as He began to reveal these things to me, what faith was and what the curses and the blessings were and how they work, as I began to step into that realm, finally after a few years of really studying intensely with the Lord, about 20 years ago, I stepped far enough into that world to receive by faith Jesus Christ, not only as my Savior, which I'd done when I was an 11-year-old boy, but I received Him as my healer and my deliverer and my preserver and everything. And when I did that, that's when I stepped into a brand new realm. And when I stepped into that world, I began to see the Lord answer my prayers in, in the business world that I worked in. I saw Him do miracles in the building industry and the design of equipment. I began to see open visions. He began to show me how to build and design things and do them in record time, in record budgets. It was, it was, it was an awesome thing to step into. It, it's just such a wonderful thing to step into. And it's available to everybody. But you must know how to do it. And it's not just a figment of your imagination. It is a real thing that will be revealed to you from the Word of God. And when these things become a revelation to you, then you'll be able to walk in these things. Now, you can have these things in your head, and they will not work for you. But when they make that little short trip to your heart, that's when the revelation comes of the Word of God. And when the revelation comes that you are a king or a priest or a princess in the kingdom of God, and you're son, true sons and daughters of God, and you're not trying to persuade God to do something He's reluctant to do whenever you pray. You've got, you, when you're a young person in Christ like I was, when I used to pray, I thought if I prayed long enough and hard enough, God would do something. Maybe, if it was His will. And I never saw Him do anything. I never saw an answer to prayer. But when I stepped into these little realms of faith, when I would pray, believing it was done with no doubt in my heart, quoting the Word of God, I started getting prayers answered. And then whenever this book became a revelation to me that this book means what it says, and I am who it says I am, I am no longer a servant of God. 
I am no longer a friend of God, but today I am a son of God. And if you're a daughter of His, you're a daughter. So we're a nation, just like He says, of kings and priests, and we've come out of the kingdom of darkness and we're translated over into the kingdom of light. Now we're on His side, and now we're to do warfare against the devil, and we're not trying to persuade God to do something He's reluctant to do. He's already done it and given you and me everything we need to walk through this earth and kick out devils and heal the sick and cleanse the lepers and raise the dead. It belongs to us as the church. But the church don't know it. They're just like I was all these years. Didn't know it. Now then, before we get started on this teaching of these curses and blessings, I'm going to ask that if for some of you here that have received a healing or a miracle from the Lord, and you want to give us a testimony and tell what God has done for you, I would ask you to come up right now at this time. I'm going to start off with Sharon over here. I know Sharon has received a tremendous healing. She is so grateful to the Lord. And so she has a tremendous testimony, and I know she's going to want to tell you, but you're going to have to stand close to me too because that's only going to put it on tape, but this is going to put it over where they can hear. So do you, mm-hmm. mind, do you mind standing close to me? Not at all. Hey, okay, uh, praise the Lord. Cheryl doesn't mind. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, I was in a car accident in 1972, and I got a whiplash. And this went on for about five or six years, and I started getting treatments, I guess, in about 1985, 86, uh, from a chiropractor, which until January 11th of this year, I went to one, three, five times a week, depending on how bad it was, so he could put me back together. I had migraine headaches. My arm would come out of the socket. My hip was just awful. And um, I came to a healing school on uh, the 10th of January, and then to church on the 11th, they prayed for me, and I've been healed ever since. Is God wonderful? Is He wonderful? God is incredible. He's incredible. Praise. He's, he's not just wonderful. I keep coming back so I can stay healed. Amen. That's the whole thing, yes, staying healed. Now then, who else? Somebody else like to give a testimony? This young lady right here? Come up here and tell us what Jesus done for you. Again, like I say, for them to hear you, so you stand close to me, will you? And that one there, that put it on the tape, but this one put it where they can hear you. Okay. In 99, I had my um, first daughter, and um, when she was about four months old, I got pregnant again, which was wonderful. We wanted to, and I miscarried. And I called my mom, and she said that had not ever happened in our family. Um, and then after that, I went on to have three or four other miscarriages, and it was just really disturbing. And... Um, just recently, last month maybe, I went to something called an upper room ministry at our church, and um, I said, okay, my mom has just passed away, and the word said that the Lord is very close to the orphans and the widows, and I, and I didn't get an inheritance from my mother, but I would like an inheritance from the Lord. And that might have been a presumptuous prayer, but, and I, and I said, and, well, um, I told him I was having trouble in my quiet time, and if the Lord wanted to give me a baby, that'd be nice too. And they went ahead and prayed for that. They prayed for sneezing because I would wake up sneezing. I couldn't get quiet before the Lord. The sneezing went away, and, they, and, I, went, and I ended up finding out that I was pregnant. And now I'm 10 weeks, 11, 11 weeks along. I've always miscarried at the um, fifth week. And so I'm just so thankful already. It's early, but I'm so thankful. Amen. You're going to carry this baby full term, right? Amen. Amen. In the name of Jesus. See, the thing about it is, I want to tell you a story right here, right quick, after she's given her testimony, that there was a couple that came to me uh, about 
four or five years ago, and they had had several surgeries to have their first baby, and then the doctor said they'd never have a second baby. Well, finally, Christine and Sean Bowman came to me and said, Thurman, it was on a Friday night after a television show, and they said, we want you to pray for us to have a baby. So we knelt there that night and took Mark 11, 23, and we prayed and asked the Lord to give them a baby. Well, she conceived that month and got pregnant, but 12 weeks into it, she wound up in the hospital flooding like crazy, and it was about 1 or 2 in the morning, and she said, Sean, go call Thurman. We need a prayer warrior. The doctor's telling me I'm going to lose this baby, and I'm not going to lose this baby. So Sean came and called me about 2 o'clock in the morning whenever he called. I immediately, from laying in my bed, took authority over the devil and commanded him to get his hands off of Christina Bowman and stop messing with her body, and immediately she stopped flooding. The very next morning, she went home, and at the end of the full nine months, she brought a bouncing baby boy into the world. And the other day, I was down at uh, one of the radio stations, and he is a sound man down there. And I walked in, and when I did, I heard this woman scream, Thurman Scrivener. And I turned and looked, and it was Christina, and she's got those two boys, and I haven't seen them since the boy's first birthday. And there were those two boys. I'm telling you, as men and women of faith, we don't have to let the devil do these things to us. We have been given all power and all authority over the devil. And when he comes to do something like that to try to get you to miscarry a baby, you don't ever buy into that lie. You rebuke him. You make sure you've got all your sins confessed. You and your husband are walking holy before God. And you take the Word of God and you drive that devil away. And you tell him, you're going to bring this baby into the world full term and he's going to be a beautiful, healthy, intelligent child. Don't just ask God for a healthy one. Ask him for a beautiful, healthy, intelligent one because he's a great big God, right, honey? Amen. Praise the Lord. Great. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Anybody else have another testimony you want to give? Here we got a lady coming from back here. Praise the Lord. You're going that way. Okay. Anybody else? Anybody else have a testimony? Brother, you got one up here? Come up here. Now, remember, come around here on this side and stand close to me. Hold this mic and stand right. close so you can, they can hear you on the PA. If I get a chance to testify the Lord, that's, that's nothing more than anything I want to do. And uh, J.C.'s our pastor over in Denton, and he's sat under Thurman's ministry, and this is the first time I've been here. But he was asking me about I had a bicycle accident in 81, and uh, the way the things worked out, the Lord brought me back into fellowship with him before he allowed it to happen. And I did a somersault on a 10-speed, doing about 35. I went about 16 feet, and the only place I hit was my head. And it crushed that, cracked that whole frontal lobe down. I was able to get up and try to get my bicycle going to try to uh, get out. And I couldn't see, so I went over to a pulsating sprinkler, and I felt the, my eyes sticking out, so I thought I'd walk out and get some help. I, this was in the middle of TW campus on a Sunday afternoon. There was no policeman. As in between semesters, they'd already made the rounds for the evening and wouldn't come back in. I walked up to their car. I was in shape then. I was bleeding. I had cut off Adidas shirt, uh, blood streaming down, and I walked up to the lady and the security, and she looked at me and turned and said, she jumped across the car and said, what happened to you? I said, I had a bicycle accident. She said, you mean a motorcycle? I said, no, it was a bicycle. She said, no, it was a motorcycle. I said, no, it was a bicycle. She said, you did that on a bicycle? I said, yes. She said, do you want me to call you an ambulance? I said, do you think I need one? She said, I sure do. <laughs> so she laid me down on the sidewalk, and this other officer that was with her went back up to where I'd parked my bike, and he took pictures of everything except where it was. It was right on the crest of the hill. They'd taken the concrete out of the sidewalk to run conduit underneath it, and it wasn't marked. 
And so when I hit it, I just flew. But uh, the thing about it was when I hit that concrete, there was a flash of light. And I know it was the light of Christ that let me know he was with him. There was no fear within me whatsoever. And there was a peace and calmness about me that caused me to be that way. Well, they took me to flow. It was a county hospital then. They didn't have a landing pad. And uh, they just took an x-rays my and spine because there was no neurosurgeon around. And they formed a circle with the police cars in the parking lot for care flight. It had just come like six months before that. Dr. Red Duke had brought it to Houston and to Dallas. Parkland didn't have a landing pad. They flew me to Methodist. And uh, just by chance, the best neurosurgeon in the Southwest was on call that night. They got me into surgery about midnight. Told my parents, said, we'll do what we can. It's in God's hands now. They removed three blood clots that cut the sack around the brain. They went and they scraped my sinus membrane, which they said they wish I'd have done, but it was so thin anyway. And they moved the bone back up and moved this back up the best they could. It cracked the whole frontal lobe as it was around. And uh, when he came back out, he was smiling about 7 o'clock that morning and told my mother, said, he's alive. We don't know if it'd be a vegetable or what. Well, the doctors didn't know what to do. So their, their treatment was, how you feeling? I mean, that's all they could say because they're wondering why I was still alive. And over the course of time, I was still in ICU and CCU for five weeks. And I was losing fluid from the brain. They didn't want to go back in for the infection. And that stopped the morning before I was supposed to go back into surgery. So they just sent me home because they didn't know what else to do. Well, eventually my left side paralysis came back. It was shut down. And that was over a period of about nine months. And uh, when I got out, there were burn victims at Parkland. And I was, they ran a week-long special on that. And seeing those people, I was so, the Lord never gave me pain in this thing. There was a peace about me. And when I realized my left side was paralyzed, I knew the Lord had a purpose in my life if it was nothing more going around telling people about, you know, kids to be careful on a bicycle. But there was this comfort with me that was just unbelievable. And he restored me completely. Within two years, I was back into the condition that I'd been prior to it. And there was no, there was no symptoms whatsoever. Even with the sinuses, they kept trying to give me sinus medication. They wanted to give me Dilantin for the rest of life for seizures. My God told me, I don't need those medications. He's going to take those things away. And they tried everything. They'd run the sinus medication. I finally have come to a place where grape seed extract took all the things away. The, the, I had a seizure in 92, and my kidneys shut down, and they didn't know why I was alive in then. And I thought, oh, man, they're going to want to put me back on Dilantin. So I, t I bought three bottles of it, and I've still got a bottle in it. The red and white tablets to turn gel in case my mother says, are you taking that medicine? I can say, yeah. <laughs> but I'm taking, and I know Jesus is a divine healer. And he brings all those things forth. But, uh, and he's going to bring me back into shape with this. I know some of the healing and things that I've prayed for, I don't receive the things that Satan wants to put on me. And I can't expect my God, and somebody's asked me the other day, I said, he's healed me of my eyesight. And when I pray, I take my glasses off because I'm not going to stand before my God and say I need these because I don't. And I'm going to, I can't ask him. I said, you know, until I get myself back in shape, I've got some disciplined things in my life where I got to eat comfort food when I was, sick with what the world calls chronic fatigue syndrome and I would eat to sleep so I could try to get full enough to do something but I can't expect to be put sugar in my gas tank and ask God to override what my disobedience is so I need to come into his will and then ask for his healing and walk in his light and be a testimony to who he is and I'm thankful for Thurman and JC and anyone that walks looking for the truth of the Lord who truly is and we're not masked and covered over by Satan from what he's trying to tell us that who we are, because we're not who he says he is. Our God is who he says he is. Amen. So thank you. Amen. Praise Amen. the Lord, brother. Great. Great. All right. All right. Did we have another one? I saw somebody else starting to get up all ago. Are we okay? 
Oh, well, okay. Praise the Lord. Come up here and stand, stand here close to me where that uh, they can hear on this microphone, too. Uh, in 1995, I injured my back, and uh, my wife was watching Oklahoma and Oklahoma State beat each other up. So I took my two-year-old boy to Discovery Zone, Oklahoma City, and flipped and fell in a bathroom and really buggered it up. Changed my life totally. I mean, it was a situation where I was a Christian, and I just... I wasn't acting like one. I kept saying I was one, but I didn't act like one. And uh, for many years, I couldn't pick up my son. I couldn't play golf. I couldn't do the things I wanted to do. I couldn't bend down and pick things up. Um, I'd walk by paper on the floor, and things. it just was that way. My son continued to pray. He would take me to the altar and pray and keep praying. He goes, it will happen. And... You know, I'd pat him on the head and I'd say, yes, it would happen. And, you know, I'm glad you believe. And I kept going because I thought God wanted me sick. He brought me back to him by making me injured. And so that was the way I was supposed to be. Maybe, you know, whatever was happening, I wasn't supposed to be doing. And friends of ours brought us to uh, the healing school six months ago or whatever. And Thurman kept preaching on faith. And, you know, I believed in faith. I grew up, you know, faith was good. It was it was good. I'd never known anybody that was healed. <laughs> you know, I'd never seen anybody that was healed. It was a good thing. You know, you had to have faith. And people continued to die and people continued to get injured. And so what ended up, uh, I kept going through it and it just hit me. And I walked up and Thurman said, do you want to be healed? And I said, yes, I do. And he goes, do you believe? And I said, yes, I do. And we prayed, and I confessed my sins, and I walked out of there for the first time in eight years with no pain. And he said, now I'm going to teach you how to keep him away from you. And so, you know, every time, you know, two weeks later, pain would start coming back, and within 15 seconds of praying what you taught me to pray that God had sent to you, the pain would go away within 15 to 30 seconds of any time it happened. Uh, one of the bad things is I now have to pick things up off the floor. <laughs> you know, but that's all right. That's all right. But two weeks ago, for the first time in eight years, I picked up a golf club and played all the way through it and actually hit straight. So that was I good. Admit. But more importantly, I truly, absolutely, without a doubt, believe if I need a mountain moved, by faith, that mountain will move. Amen. And I appreciate what you've done. Amen. Praise the King, brother. Glory to God. Amen, amen, amen. All right. Let's teach a little bit. Let's get into the Word. What a mighty God we serve. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, as we get into the Word, I ask you to show up today by the power of your Holy Ghost and convict us of sin, convict us of who we are, and what we can do, and truly that we can speak to the mountain in the name of Jesus, and it will obey us. Now, Lord, I rebuke every devil of hell and command Satan and his host to leave and to not steal a single word or a thought out of anybody's mind or heart today as we study your word. And may you lock it into our hearts and our minds by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can use these things that we'll learn from your word today to walk wholly before you so we can walk totally in obedience to the word so we can become the sons and daughters that you plan for us to be so that everybody's life that we touch will be changed. And Lord, we thank you and praise you for this beautiful day. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. 
I want to talk a little bit today about laws that govern curses, because so many of us live under a curse. I lived under curses most of my life. Now, there is a, a few basic principles or basic laws that govern curses. Now, these laws apply to each category of the curse. Now, from what I can find in the Word of God, there is several different curses, and I've got six of them listed. There may not be, this may not be the, all of them, but it's all that I could find. Now, the very first one that I come up with was generational curses. This is one of the curses that are passed down from generation to generation. Whenever the devil gets legal right to a family, uh, I think about a woman that was delivered from uh, demons here a while back when this woman was sitting on a pew and her probably 18-year-old son was sitting beside her and during the course of the service, the woman literally looked like a normal woman. She fell off of the chair onto the floor and began to draw up in a knot and everybody was wondering what was wrong with her. Well, we knew exactly what was wrong with her. She had a demon. The demon manifest during the teaching and in the process, the young boy that was sitting there was asked, have you ever seen your mother do this? And he was startled. He said, no, mother has never done such a thing as this, never in my entire life. Well, after taking authority over the demon and kicking him out, uh, or during the process of that, we asked the demon how he got in, and he got in through a generational curse. And the curse was that the grandmother seven generations back had committed adultery. And when the grandmother seven generations back got into adultery, that demon said, I've had every woman in this family from that day forth, and I've caused every woman in this family to commit adultery for seven generations. Every woman. Now, see, you don't realize that whenever you don't have a demon, you can control yourself. When you have a demon, you cannot control yourself. And that's why so many young men and young women, whenever they're young and they get into a heated uh, courtship or something, whenever they get all worked up, whenever they start moving toward each other in the area of a sexual encounter, they cannot control themselves and they just fall to this because they're under the control of a demonic spirit. So it's amazing how you cannot control yourself when a demon controls you. But when you're not controlled by a demon, you're in control. And it's just like, let's just say, for instance, say you love ice cream. I mean, you love ice cream. But if you're in control and somebody walks in, and although you may be super hungry, you may not have anything to eat, to eat all day today, or maybe you've been fasting for two or three days, if you're in control and somebody walks up and says, wow, have this bowl of your favorite ice cream, and it's even got a piece of pecan pie on the side to eat with it. Now, if you're in control, you'll say, no, thank you. I'll put it to the side. You can walk on by. But if you can't not push that to the side, you have to eat that, then you're not in full control. You're allowing the enemy to control you. And it happens that way in everything you do. If you're in control by the Spirit of God, then you can overcome anything, and you won't have to yield to anything in life other than what you want to yield to. And you can control yourself in anything you do. I don't care what it is. You can control yourself. Now then, <clears throat> personal sin curses. This is something that we do. These are personal sins that we commit that opens the door to the demonic world. Now, how many people do you know that have committed multiple personal sin curses? 
Everybody has done that. I don't care who you are. Everybody has personal sins. And those personal sins will bring curses upon you. And then the next one I've got listed here is accursed things curses. Accursed things. Now, we bring things into our home that have demonic spirits attached to them. One of the cases I know of, I've had several experiences with these things, but one of them was a man that was a very affluent man. He had a very nice business. Him and his wife had a beautiful home, and everything was going great. And his mother-in-law and father-in-law takes a trip, and they go down to Mexico, and they go visiting down there on a trip. They're down there a week or so, and when they come back, they bring him a little wooden statue of a beggar. They bring this little wooden statue, and they give it to their daughter and son-in-law. Well, he sets it out on the front porch. You know, it's a pretty good-sized little idol, little statue-like thing. Well, my mother-in-law and father-in-law brought this to me, so I'll just set it on the front porch. So he did. And over the next few months, everything in their business began to fail. Their company failed. They finally got down to the point where they're just fixing to have to declare bankruptcy. Everything has fell apart. He don't have a clue what's going on. He is a traditional Christian. He goes to church. He loves the Lord. He tithes and everything. But his world's falling apart. He don't understand why. Finally, a man that I know, he went to his house one afternoon, and he was asked to come pray. You know, I mean, I've never had such a problem, and evidently I need prayer. Well, he goes to pray, and when he walks up on the steps, he sees this old beggar statue sitting there, and he says, where did you get that? And he said, well, my mother-in-law and father-in-law brought it to me. He said, how long ago was this? He said, oh, six or eight months ago, something like that. He said, when did your problem start? He said, well, about six or eight months ago. And he said, well, this is why, because this thing here, this statue, is an idol of a beggar, and it probably had some evil, wicked spirit person in Mexico pray over it, put a curse on it, and it's an accursed thing. And said, since it's an accursed thing, it has allowed a demon to come to your house, and so there's what your problem is. The man said, I never heard of such a thing as this. He said, that's what's happened. So they destroyed the idol, broke the curse, and immediately the man's business started coming back up. And with about six or eight months, he was right back where he started. Well, one day, right here in the local area, a lady in the local area contacted me and said, Thurman, I need you to come over and pray for my son. said, he's got a tremendous problem. And so I went over there to their home that afternoon, and I sat down and he had all kinds of allergies he couldn't breathe or they tried giving medicine and everything he was having a tremendous problem I said son how did this come upon you y'all are Christians I said how did this come upon you he said well I don't know how it come upon me he said all I know is one day I was well and he said the next thing I know I was sick I said well what were you doing when you got sick he said well I, he said I'm just I think he's 16 he said, I'm 16 years old, and so he said, I clean people's houses here in the area, you know, to, for a little extra money. And he said, the day it happened, I was cleaning a house up here of a lady, and he said, by the way, she's not a Christian. I said, how do you know she's not a Christian? He said, because she's got all these little wooden Buddha statues all over her house. I said, oh, that's a pretty good indication that she's not a Christian. I said, did you do anything to those? He said, well, I just dust them and clean them. And I said, well... But did you do anything or did you say anything to any of them? He said, well, what kind of, what would that do? I said, those have demonic spirits attached to them. I said, did you do anything to one of those? 
I said, stop and think when you got sick. He said, you know, that is when I got sick. I said, what did you do? He said, I was dusting these little statues, and all of a sudden I just kind of, you know, took my rag, and I don't know, popped it, and I said, you're not nothing. You're just a wooden statue. And he said, immediately my head stopped up. I said, oh. I said, so you messed with a demon, and you were messing with a demon in his domain. He had legal right to be there, and you're there, and you're messing with him. And since you were messing with him, he attacked you. And I said, that's why this come upon you. I said, now I want you to repent, and I don't want you to ever go back and clean that house. I want you to repent. And so he repented. I went over and laid my hands on him, commanded that devil to leave him, and he was instantly healed, just like that. His problem went away. And I see people, some people say, I don't believe those things. Okay, don't believe them if you want to. But in the Word of God, there is a cursed thing. And I can, I can tell you a story in the Word of God where a man, where a nation was told not to touch anything that's a curse because over here at Jericho, everything's cursed. And so don't you take not one single thing, no money, no clothing, no nothing. But yet one man took one robe and a little gold and a little silver and he brought it and hid it under the floor of his tent and the next time those men went out to battle, there was 30-plus of those men that were innocent that lost their lives. Not that man, but 30-something men that were innocent that had nothing to do with taking anything wrong. It cost them their life. And when Joshua got on his face and began to pray, Lord, we go into Jericho and we clean out the place and don't lose a man. We go down to the little, little tiny place of Ai here and we get wiped out and we lose all these men. What happened? So he stayed on his face before God all day long. And finally at the end of the day, the Lord said, Joshua, get up off your face. There's sin in the camp and I didn't go with you. And when there's sin in the camp, God doesn't go with you. So when you go on your own, guess what? You're in trouble. So all those men lost their lives. And then the Lord says, now, go through and I'll show you which man done it. So they went through each one of the tribes until they found the one that done it. And when they found Achan, the one that had the robe and the uh, gold and the silver hidden in the floor of his tent, it cost him his life, his wife his life, all their children their life, and all of his animals and livestock. Everything was stoned and then burned because of his sin because he had taken something that was accursed and it was accursed before God very very serious business so you want to make sure that you don't bring accursed things into your home <clears throat> there's so many things in fact if you want to know what's accursed as a Christian what you need to do if you think you might have things in your home that are accursed or been dedicated to the devil like jewelry, rings with snakes on them, and all kinds of stuff like that, ask the Lord to reveal to you what is accursed, and He will show you. And I might tell you right here, talking about accursed things and these personal sin curses and so forth, about eight or nine or ten years ago, I met a beautiful little 25-year-old girl one day, <clears throat> and she walked into my office, and I didn't realize at that time she had been married, had a five-year-old son, and she was divorced. But she walked into my office and she said, Mr. Scrivener, since you're an engineer, 
I want to know who I might find to check to see if I have a, uh, somebody might have a camera or something hidden or attached to my telephone line or something because somebody is watching what I'm doing in my home. And I said, what makes you think so? She said, well, nearly every day when I get home, a man calls me and he tells me what I'm wearing. I said, oh, honey, I said, uh, you know, I said, probably what happened, the guy's watching. I said, he probably lives across the street and he's watching you go in the house and he sees you got a red blouse on and a blue slacks or something like that or whatever. She said, no, sir, Mr. Scrivener, that's not what he does. I said, what do you mean? He said, I walk in the house and he calls me and tells me I've got blue panties on with a red flower in the upper right corner. And I said, uh-oh. I said, and you, you're still dressed. She said, I'm still dressed. I said, oh, okay. I said, this guy's seeing into the spirit world. I said, you got a demon in your house. She said, I got a demon in my house. I said, are you a Christian? She said, I'm a Catholic. I said, but do you love Jesus? She said, well, yeah, I love Jesus. I said, okay, then you're a Christian if you love Jesus. I said, so have you ever been involved in the occult? She said, I don't even know what the occult is. I said, have you ever played with tarot cards? Oh, yeah, I've got a deck at my home. Oh, I said, have you ever read books about curses and casting spells and, and all those kind of things? Oh, yeah. She said, I picked up several of those kind of books down at the store. said, I enjoy reading those things. I said, honey, you've got all kinds of doors open in your house. Now, see, for a lack of knowledge, we perish. So anyway, I said, so you have all these things in your home? She said, yes, I do. And I said, well, we've got to get rid of that stuff. We've got to cleanse and purify your house because your house is full of demons. And she said, I never heard about demons before. I said, well, I'm telling you about them today. And I said, there's a world here that's very real that when they get legal claim to you, then they're going to come. And because of all these different curses, it allows them to come and attack you. And I said, we need to get your house cleansed and purified as quickly as possible. She said, when can you come? And I said, when do you want me to come? She said, tonight. I said, well, let me call this Baptist preacher friend of mine here. He's local. I said, I can't come over to your house by myself. She said, well, my son's there. I said, how old is he? She said, he's only five. I said, no, I can't come over there with a five-year-old boy there. But I said, let me bring a Baptist preacher friend of mine. And I said, two of us, two men, we, we will you know, come to your house. I, I would never walk into your house. You know, somebody see me walk into a beautiful 25-year-old girl's house with a five-year-old son. People talk. So I said, I would never do that, honey. I said, so let me call him. I called him. I said, can you go with me tonight? He said, sure, I can. So he met me, and we went over there to her house. We walked in, and she had all this stuff. I mean, we found books, and we found cards, and we found anointing oil. We found all kinds of stuff that she had had, that she had these tarot cards. We burned everything that would burn in the fireplace. We destroyed everything else, put it in a trash can, and we prayed over that house. I anointed everything in that house with all, every doorway, every window, and everything, and drove out every demon, every evil spirit. Now, a lot of people, especially if you've been raised up in a Baptist church, the average Baptist preacher that would have went with me would have thought I'd lost my mind. But I'm telling you, I see into the spirit world that these guys don't see into. So as I did all these things, knowing all these things about curses, after this, well, that girl come to me the next day, she come by my office and said, Mr. Scrivener, I had the first night's beautiful sleep I've had. said, it was awesome. She said, everything in my house has changed. And so about two weeks later, she came back again. She said, Mr. Scrivener, she said, boy, what you did has made such a tremendous impact in my home. And I said, well, good. I said, we got rid of all the demons. 
She said, I didn't realize how real this world was that you were talking about. She said, I sleep perfect at night. I have, she said, I had tormenting dreams before. I said, I can understand because those demons were tormenting you. And she said, now I'm going to tell you something else. And she said, I wouldn't just tell anybody this, but I think you'll understand. She said, in the wee hours of the night, I would be awakened in a, out of a dream. And in the dream, I literally felt like I had a man on me and I was having sex with a man. She said, I could feel it. But she said, there was never a man there. I said, I know. It was a demon. And he was there. And he was messing with your physical body. And you had invited these demons in. And you were having dreams in these nightmares. And these demons were tormenting your flesh. And you were feeling like you were literally having sex with a man. But she said, from that day, you were at my house and prayed for me and my, my boy. And you rebuked those devils. All of that has completely gone away. And it has totally changed that little girl's life. But when you experience something like that, when you get to where you realize what's going on on this earth, you can understand who you are and what you can do. Now, here was an invisible world that was tormenting a little Christian daughter of the Lord. And she had no idea who she was or what she could do in the name of Jesus. Now, that's where we are in the church today. We have no idea what we can do in the name of our king. But our king has empowered us with everything we need to overcome the forces of darkness. Everything. We don't have to yield to the devil nowhere. We can pray, and if we'll get our sins confessed, we can pray and ask God for anything, and he can fix you where you hadn't played golf in eight years, where well, you can go out and play golf again, right? Isn't that wonderful? I mean, it's awesome. But God came in His Word. He said, I came not only to give my children life, but to give them abundant life. That's what He wants you and me to live in. Not just life. Abundant life. He don't want you to be down in your back for 30 years, Sharon. He wants you to have be free of pain and to be His daughter and to love Him and serve Him. That's what He wants, doesn't He? That's what He wants. And that's what He wants for every one of us. He does not want us to live in the devil's camp. But... If we're willing to live over there in the devil's camp, which is where I lived far too many years of my life, I didn't know what I was doing, and just by not knowing, I was living in the devil's camp. Because I didn't know how to walk in faith. I didn't know how to walk in a total love relationship with the Lord. Although I wasn't out there grossly sinning like some people do, I was still sinning, and sin is sin. It makes no difference what it is. Sin is sin. There's no difference in a sin of not trusting God as your provider than committing adultery. In the spirit world, it's the same. It's sin. Some people said, my goodness gracious, Thurman, you mean if you don't treat, if you don't say, I'm trusting God as my provider, I'm trusting my company as my provider, that's as much sin as if I'm out committing adultery? It's the same sin. No difference. It's we categorize sin, but God does not. Sin is sin. And he hates it. He wants us to totally walk in the realms of faith. And so when you walk in the realms of faith, then you can ask the king for great things, and he'll heal your body, he'll deliver you, he'll set you free, he'll do wonderful things for you. And we have sure seen him do some wonderful things in these healing schools. I mean, and it's getting, the miracles are actually getting bigger, and it seems like the greater my faith grows, the greater the miracles, because... Just like the other day, I, I was blown away the other day myself 
whenever I was down in Mandy, Louisiana, when I just back in March, when I prayed over a man that was probably 50 years old that had a tractor run over his knees uh, two years ago, and it crushed both of his knees. And the doctor said, you'll never walk again. Never. But they brought him to a healing, I mean, to a teaching that I was doing down there in a church on a Wednesday night. And after they brought him in there and he listened to me teach the Word of God about two hours, I went up and literally laid my hands. Can you imagine now the power that God's put in us? I got a man sitting here on the front row with steel braces from his waist to his ankles to hold his legs straight. And I walk up there and literally lay my hands on those knees and put my hands on those knees and quote the Word of God, John fourteen thirteen, and said, Father, you said in your name I could ask you for anything and you'd do it. So I said, Father, in the name of Jesus, according to John fourteen thirteen, I ask you to take this man's knees that's been run over and crushed by a tractor, and the doctors have told him he'll never walk again. I ask you to restore those knees and make those knees perfectly normal and let him walk and run and play in the name of Jesus. I said, Lord, you said it. You gave us this power. It's done. All I got to do is believe. I said, sir, it's done. Do you believe? He said, I believe. I said, good. He had real loose pants on. I said, pull those pants legs up and take that steel off that you got under there and throw it away and get up and walk in the name of Jesus. He pulled his breeches legs up. He took that steel all off. And I reached down and took him by the hand. And I pulled him up. And he stood up. When he stood, he said, oh, it hurts. I said, I know it's going to hurt. I can guarantee the devil's going to make it hurt. But I said, don't believe him. I said, believe the Lord. I said, now start walking. And so he took a step, two steps, three steps. And I said, you're doing good. I just turned him loose. I said, go. He walked around the podium three times. And by the time he walked around it three times, he ran to the back of the church and back to the front, completely, totally healed. I mean, this guy has got both hands in the air. He's falling on his knees. He's jumping up and down. He's jumping up and down, screaming, God, you're awesome. You're awesome. You're awesome. It's easy to do that, isn't it, Sheriff? It's easy to do that when you get to see God do those kind of things. And then the other day, Cheryl and I was out there in uh, uh, Hobbs, New Mexico, and that evening service, they brought a woman that hadn't walked for years in a wheelchair. I believe that's right. Eight years. A woman hadn't walked for eight years. She was in a wheelchair. And at this morning service, one of the ladies came and said, I've got a lady friend of mine in a wheelchair and said, I'm going to go get her today, and she's coming. If I had to drag her here tonight, she's coming. Brought the lady there, and she brought her right on the front row. And after we got through preaching, I went up, and I started praying for this woman. I said, what's wrong? She said, I can't walk. I knelt down beside her, put my hands on her legs, asked the Father in Jesus' name, according to His Word, to heal and restore I, the, I said, this is the work of the devil. And Jesus, you come to destroy the works of the devil. So I said, Father, in Jesus' name, destroy these works of the devil and raise this daughter of yours up and make her walk in Jesus' name. I stood up. I said, ma'am, you believe God? She said, I do. I said, it's in your ballpark. I said, take my hand and get up. So she reached her hand out and I took one hand and the lady that brought her was over here sitting in the pew. She took her other hand and we stood this lady up. I said, take a step. And she, she can't walk a lick. I said, take a step. She's trying. She can't take a step. I said, rock back and forth. Do something. So she starts doing this. You know, she, she can't walk forward, but she can, she shifts her weight back and forth. Going back and forth like this. And I said, take a step. She stops and tries to take a step. Can't take a step. I said, keep rocking. I said, keep rocking. She kept walking. I said, while you're rocking, take a step. I said, when you got some of that weight off of one side, 
shift your body. So she took a little step like that. I said, do it again. She did this, and she said, she took another step. I said, you're doing good. In a few minutes there, I had her all the way up to the podium. I said, now let us turn and walk over here. We turned, and now then by this time, she's walking like this. And we made it all the way over and all the way back. And now we go the second time, she's walking like this. And the church is jumping up and down, and everybody in the church is screaming and praising God. The woman walked all over the place. They folded up her wheelchair. She walked out to the car, got in it, and last time I saw her, she was walking normal. Now, our Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Anything that sickness or disease is a work of the devil. And you're not trying to persuade God to do something he's reluctant to do. He's already done it and give it to you. But you've got to take it away from the devil by force. Right, J.C.? Got to take it away from the devil. The devil will hold you bound. And as long as you doubt, he will have legal right to hold you down. Now, these accursed things will, will destroy you. Now, the next one I've got in here is probably the one that we speak the most and the one that we devastate our flesh with more than any other curse I know. And it's word curses. Word curses. You speak the wrong things. The other day I walked up here into the uh, post office right here in Justin. There's a man come out of there. He was all wrinkled up and, you know, he was kind of getting along like this. And I walk in, man, I come flying in there and I said, Praise God, brother, how are you doing today? He said, Oh, he said, I'm so tired and wore out today. I said, you're so tired and wore out? I said, you had a bad, long day? Yeah, about 7 o'clock in the evening. He said, man, it's been a long day for me. I said, well, gee, I've had a long day too, but I said, it's been good. Praise God. I said, I'm going good. He said, well, you wait till you get old as I am, then you won't be able to get around like you're getting around. I looked at him. I said, how old are you? He said, I'm ancient. I said, ancient? I said, come on, mister. How old are you? He said, no, nah, I don't even want to tell you. He said, I'm so old. He said, I just can't do nothing no more. I said, come on. How old are you? He said, I'm 45. <laughs> 45 years old. I told him, I said, I sure am glad I'm not as old as you are. <laughs> oh, goodness. Let me tell you. You don't realize what you do with that tongue in your mouth. That tongue in your mouth will either kill you or it'll put you over in life. You are a direct example of what you have spoken out of that mouth. Now, if you believe the Word of God, why do you think Jesus said, Let the weak say, I am strong. Let the poor say, I am rich. Why did you think the Lord told us to say those things? Because He knew how He made us, and He knew life and death is in the power of the tongue. And you have what you say with your mouth. Now think of this awesome statement when we think about word curses. We think about what Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty three. Now if you don't know that promise, you need to look at that, and you need to meditate on that, and you need to get a hold of that, because what Jesus was telling them there on these word curses in Mark chapter 11, Jesus is on the way to the temple. And he comes up to a fig tree, and it's not even time of the year for figs. And he walks up to that fig tree, and he speaks to that fig tree, and he tells that fig tree, may you never bear fruit again. And immediately the tree dies. He spoke to the tree, and it died. The next day, when they come back from the temple, Peter comes running along there, and he says, Lord, look at the fig tree that you cursed. You cursed it, 
Hey, I thought he just spoke to it. But he spoke negatively to it, didn't he? So since he spoke negative to that tree and he spoke in faith, what did that tree do? That tree obeyed his words and that tree died. And then Jesus turned to you and me and made this statement. If you have faith in God, not only can you speak to the fig tree, but you can speak to the mountain and you can command the mountain to remove from there into the sea and if you don't doubt in your heart the mountain will obey you and then he makes this awesome statement therefore whatever you say with your mouth if you believe it with your heart you will have whatever you say so you walk in one morning and somebody you say how are you doing and you're in church Oh, Thurman, I had a bad week this week. My arthritis sure is bothering me this week. And my back's going out this week. But I know it's just because I'm so old. You know, I'm 60 now, and I'm over the hill. And I can't do any of these things no more. Well, if that's what you're saying with your mouth, guess why all that stuff's going out? Because you're speaking word curses upon yourself. When you start speaking the Word of God over yourself, you will realize that the Lord says in His Word in James chapter 3, the man, of course He's talking about women there too, ladies, but the man or the woman that learns how to control their tongue will be able to control their whole body. Do you know the average Christian does not believe that statement? Do you know that we do not believe we have control over our body? We do not believe we can speak to our body and command our body to do what we tell it to do, and our body will have to obey our spoken words. But it will. And it's wonderful when you learn how to do that. It's wonderful to be able to speak to your body and tell your body, body, you will do what I tell you today. You will go here. You will do this. You will not be tired. You will not lust for food today. You will not overeat. When you, when you stop into a place to eat, you will only eat when your body is really hungry. You will not eat at 7, 12, 3, 7, and 9. <laughs> now, that's the way many of us eat. I mean, many of us have got to eat in the morning at 6 or 7, and at 12 o'clock, I mean, I don't care if you're hungry or not. It's 12 o'clock. It's time to go chow down. We're going to have something good to eat. It doesn't make it whether you're hungry or not. And then again at 3 o'clock, it's time for a break, and it's time for an extra sandwich or something. You're not hungry, but you're going to eat anyway. And then again at 7 in the evening, it's time to eat. And then at 9 o'clock before bed, it's time for a bowl of ice cream or a big sack of buttered popcorn or something, you know, and a couple of Cokes before you go to bed. You know, you, you got to have that, you know, and you want to know why you're overweight. I have your answer. I have your answer. You need to not eat so much. You need to take control of your flesh. You need to talk to it in the name of Jesus. Now, if you speak positive things over your flesh and command your body, you will be able to control your whole body. James chapter 3 clearly talks about that. Now, if you've not listened, I've just redone my tapes on the tongue. I used to have one tape on the tongue, but now I have two. Two tapes, and the tape one and tape two... If you have not listened to those, all of our tapes are over here in the room right across the other side of the gym. 
over there in a room right there, and they're all uh, there. Joshua's got uh, uh, boxes up there and everything. So you can take anything you want, video and audio. We've got many teachings over there, but those two tapes on the tongue will, if you don't know how to use your tongue, people automatically, in the Baptist church, somebody says, i got a tape on the tongue. I I'm not interested in the tongue. I don't speak in tongues. What a shame. <laughs> what a shame. If you don't speak in tongues, you need to learn to speak in tongues because you don't realize the power of the tongue. Everybody speaks in tongues, some kind of a tongue. Either the tongue that you speak in or a foreign tongue or a tongue from God or whatever, all the gifts the Lord gives you, but the speech you speak out of your mouth, those word curses will either, the word curses will destroy you. They will literally destroy you. In fact, Proverbs eighteen twenty one, the Lord clearly said, Life and death is in the power of the tongue. Life and death is in the power of the tongue. So I hear people all the time say, Oh, my goodness, Thurman, I just hate it. My mother died with cancer when she was 37 years old, and I'm 36 years old, and I just know I'm going to die with it too. I said, Have you had any symptoms? No, not yet, but I just know since mother had it, I just know I'm going to die with it. Well, you see them, see them two years later, just like I thought, I've got cancer. Would you come over and pray for me? I said, no. It ain't going to do no good for me to pray for you. i got to teach you how to talk first. You brought this thing on yourself with a word curse. Now you're going to have to learn how to repent and get rid of it. Because if Jesus bore our sickness and removed our disease on the cross, Jesus didn't plan for his bride to have sickness and disease. You understand where I'm coming from? If Jesus bore our sickness and removed our disease on the cross, according to the Word of God, and then he brought us in as his bride, who wants a sick bride? Does anybody want a sick bride? No. You don't want a sick bride. You want one that's on fire. You want one that can go with you and do things with you and have fun together. You don't want one that's bound to a... I mean, it's, I don't know hardly any man anywhere in the world that would meet a woman, young or old, that if you meet a woman, if you were a totally healthy man and you were to meet a woman that's on her deathbed with terminal cancer, you'd want to marry her. Would you? I wouldn't. I mean, if I'm going to marry a woman... I mean, I don't want one that's sick and afflicted and got terminal cancer. I want one like this one that can go with me. You know, can jump up that's healthy. You know, that we can go places and do things together. I mean, we can dance together. We can do whatever we want to do together, you know. That's the kind of woman I want. I want one that's healthy and well. Isn't that the way y'all would want a mate? Well, I think that's what Jesus wanted with us. That's why he bore everything for us so we wouldn't have to bear it. So we come along and think, well, gee whiz, you know, I don't know all these things, so we just speak all these curses upon ourselves. And the devil just has a heyday with us. He makes us sick and afflicts us and everything. Just like yesterday, I was asked to come to uh, the hospital in Louisville to pray for a young man. He's 37, on his deathbed, and has a bride that, of two years. This is his second marriage. has a bride of two years with a brand-new little six-week-old baby laying in there and here he is 37 on his deathbed my question is are you a Christian yes we're both Christians I asked her are you a Christian she said I'm a Christian for one week she's a brand new Christian well good I'm glad she got saved then I asked him 
where did y'all go to church? Well, we don't go to church. Now, that's not the right answer. If you're 37 years old and you're on your deathbed and you have not been going to church, then you've been out there in the world of the devil and you're not doing what the devil, or you're doing what the devil wants you to do and you're living under a curse, so you're living under the law. So by living under the law, you're not living in faith because you're not staying in church. You're not being obedient to the Word because the Lord clearly says in Hebrews 10, 25, if you're my child, he said, forsake not the gathering of yourselves together on a regular basis as the manner of some are. And especially as you see the day of the Lord approaching. Well, let me tell you, we're seeing the day of the Lord approaching. Our king is coming back soon. In fact, Cheryl and I have made an agreement. We know that we're going to serve the Lord on fire for him, and one day we're going to look up, and he's going to be appearing in that eastern sky, and we're going to go home to be with the Lord together the same day. You know, we're going to be caught out of this world together, alive, and I believe that we're that close to the return of our king. I believe we're that close. So he's coming soon. And I'm going to love him and serve him and occupy till he comes. I don't know when that's going to be. But after what I've learned about the kingdom of God, I wouldn't care if he waited another 10 or 20 or 30 years. Wouldn't be, make no difference to me. I love kicking devils out of people and getting people healed. I love serving the king. Life's good when you learn who you are and what you can do in the name of Jesus. You, don't, you can go around smiling just like you are. You can be happy all the time. Right, young lady? You don't have no bad days no more, right? When you learn how to talk, when you learn how to talk, you won't have bad days. You know, so word curses is one of the most devastating things that we do. We speak the wrong things over our flesh. Okay, then another one of the curses here is founding father curses. Our founding fathers, they make rules and may have made rules, and these curses, because of their sins, has come upon us and been passed down to the children to the third and the fourth generation, except in the area of adulterous affairs that brought children into the world out of wedlock. And that brings that family under a minimum of a ten-generation curse. When that brings you into a ten-generation curse, chances are that curse will never be broken in that family unless somebody becomes very spiritual. And when they become spiritual, then that can be broken. But if the devil keeps your eyes blinded, he will keep somebody in that line, probably every generation or every two or three generations, somebody else will be born out of wedlock in that line. And he will keep that family under a curse. Now then, can that curse be broken? Yes, it can. It can be at any time. Uh, let me bring this over here, Sharon, so you can ask. You had a question? Okay. Um, does that mean if the child is conceived out of wedlock or, you know, if the child is conceived and they get married, is that no curse there? No, no, that still, that still brings a curse. It doesn't, it doesn't seem to bring the same curse. Uh, it seems that if, a, if a, a man and a woman have a relationship and the child is conceived outside of wedlock and then they get married, and they stay married, it doesn't seem to bring quite as severe curse on the child as it does if they don't get married. If they don't get married, a lot of times it'll bring a much, much more severe curse either to them, to that child, or to the parents, or both of the parents. So, But it will bring a curse, and the poor child will be under a curse. Now then, the curse can be broken. 
I think, I think about a man in this area that all of you probably know because he's on television all the time. And he has, he has one of the most powerful testimonies in this realm of anybody I know. And his mother was raped out of wedlock, of course. You know, it was no fault of hers. But some guy raped her one night in the wee hours of the morning as she was coming home from a factory that she was working in. And a little child was born. In fact, this little child, when she found out she was pregnant, what's so strange how all these things work, as all of you as adults know, that the average woman can only conceive 12 to 24 hours in any 28-day cycle. So it just happened to be that this woman was raped within that time frame. And she conceived a little boy in her womb, and she tried everywhere in the world to kill this boy. She tried to go to get back in the days before abortion was illegal, but she lived in a huge city, so she tried to have this child aborted. She couldn't find nobody with aborted. Finally, after several attempts, the Lord spoke to her and says, Do not kill this child in your room. I will use him mightily for my kingdom. And after she heard the Lord's voice, she backed off. And she stopped trying to kill him. The little boy was born. He come under many curses. He became a Baptist preacher. He was under numerous curses. He had a tremendous problem of lust in his life. I mean, he, he, was, he didn't understand this. He couldn't control himself. He, he did control himself, but he couldn't understand why he couldn't. I mean, he was married to a beautiful woman. He had a beautiful wife, but he could be preaching somewhere to thousands of people and look out there and see a beautiful woman, and he'd lust for her. I mean, he couldn't control himself. He did control himself, but he couldn't understand why he had these bad thoughts. He couldn't understand why he's got a beautiful woman at home, and yet he looks out there and he sees another beautiful woman. He says, oh, I'd like to go to bed with that woman. Why was he like that? Well, finally one day, a man told him, he was speaking at a church and a man that understood the spirit world. He got together with this man and he said, do you think I have demons? And this man told this Baptist preacher, he said, I've cast demons out of murderers, out of rapists, out of some wicked people, and I ain't never seen a person got as many demons as you got. And that's not exactly what a Baptist preacher wants to hear. But anyway, he went up to him and he grabbed that man and he began to rebuke those demons of hell and command every demon of hell to come out of him. And when that man walked out of that room that day, that man was delivered from all those demons and that man's life totally, totally changed. And some of you know who that man is, don't you? That man was James Robinson. Now then, he's a totally different man. I've heard him tell this story myself personally. So it totally transformed his life. And then the other night I was in a a speaking engagement with another man that used to be one of the most powerful Pentecostal preachers in the whole Fort Worth area. He had the biggest Pentecostal church. And he said, when James Robinson contacted all of us preachers of other denominations, he said, he's sorry, he wants to repent. He wants to get us all together in a big hotel room, and he wants to repent to us. He thought, I'm going. I'm going to see what this guy's got to say. So he said, I was over there standing at the back, and he was asked us to stand. He wanted to lead us in a prayer of deliverance. And I thought, hmm, James says that probably the problem in some of our churches is demons. He said he's learned about demons now. And he said, you know, Lord, here's this Pentecostal preacher standing up there holding the back of the chair. And he said, Lord, you know, that's probably what's wrong in some of my church. There's probably some even Pentecostals in my church that probably got a few demons too. And he said, the Lord spoke to me. And said, Jerry, the problem in your church is not demons in people. It's the ones in you. 
Now I'm telling you, he said, I fell on my face, humble before God, because God spoke to me. And of course, that totally transformed Jerry King's life too from that day forth. And he's become a totally different man of God also. But it's amazing when God speaks to you, when you think, I'm somebody and I can't have a demon, and the Lord speaks to you and says, oh, you have one. Well, that's what he did to me one night years ago when I was asking the question, Lord, is it possible? I mean, I'm a Baptist. Is it possible for a Christian to have a demon? And, of course, I'm asking all the preachers and doctors of theology and everything else, and they're all telling me, absolutely not. A Christian cannot have a demon. Well, if Christians can't have demons, if demons were what made people sick and afflicted them and tormented them and everything back in Jesus' day, then what is it that's doing this to all of us today? Couldn't get the answer. Nobody could tell me. So I asked the Lord. Hey, when everything else fails, ask the Lord. He has the answer. <laughs> so anyway, I mean, that's what I did. I asked the Lord. So one night I was sitting there studying the Word of God, studying about all these different kinds of spirits. And when I well down into the study, hours and hours and hours, I get over to uh, Luke uh, uh, chapter 13, verse 11, where it says, And the woman which had the spirit of infirmity for 18 years and could no wise straighten herself up. Now, what did she have? A spirit of infirmity that had bound her over for 18 years and she could have no wise straighten herself up. When Jesus said, Woman, you're loose from your infirmity, immediately the devil left and she could stand and she was straight. Well, when I read that, the Lord spoke to me in a clear, audible voice. He said, Son, you have one of those living in your body. Uh, what? Lord, I have a spirit of infirmity living in my body? He said, Yes, son. I said, Lord, what is it? I said, Lord, I am not sick. I'm not weak. I'm not bowed over. I said, I have a spirit of infirmity. What is the spirit? He said, It's your athlete's foot. I said, Lord, athlete's foot is a demon? He said, Yes, son. And in my name, you have authority over it. Now, let me tell you, if you don't have revelation from God on these kind of things, there is no place in the Word of God that says a spirit of infirmity is athlete's foot. It's not in there. And so whenever other, other, other men of God and myself have sat and talked when I said I have had revelation from God, they said, now look, Thurman, God doesn't give revelation anymore. He stopped it with Paul. I said, let me tell you, that's not true. I have had revelation from God. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He may not be adding to the Scriptures, but I guarantee He's given His men revelation. If you're re seeking Him, He will open the Word of God to you, and He will reveal things to you that you will not be able to get from the Word. And so I would have never, ever, ever learned that a athlete's foot is a spirit of infirmity. But the Lord spoke to me that night. I'd had it for 30-plus years. I'd done something that would make any good Baptist, I mean, their toes cringe. When I turned and struck them boots out from that computer table and looked down, and I said, You foul devil of hell, come out of me in the name of Jesus. Whoa! That's not exactly something we do in the Baptist church every Sunday. But we do it in this church every Sunday. Praise the King. And sometimes on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. But I spoke to that thing and commanded that thing to leave me, and that thing left me, and I have never had athlete's foot again to this day. Now, not only have I done that, but I've spoken that over many people since then, and I've seen numerous miracles of healing and deliverance. In fact, there's a couple that was here last month from Arkansas that drove from Arkansas, and they brought a son that was 
totally controlled by the devil. He was hooked on drugs, and, and uh, Mama said I couldn't even leave my purse in the house. He had stealed my money out of my purse. I had to lock my money up, and she said, my son would steal anything. He would not tell you the truth, nothing. So they heard about us. They came to a healing school. I asked a young man at the end of the healing school, I said, do you want to be set free, or do you want to live like this the rest of your life? He said, I want to be free. I said, Joel 2.32, Jesus promises you that he will turn no one away that comes to him that wants to be set free. I said, now, he will not set you free from your friends. If you like what you're doing, you want to stay in there with the devil, he'll let you. But if you want to get free, he'll deliver you. He said, I want to be free. So I rebuked the devil, commanded to leave in the name of Jesus. This is last week. Elaine got a phone call from that mother, and she is absolutely hysterical. She said, we're coming back to the healing school next month from Arkansas because said, our son, from the day we left her come home, is a normal boy. No more problems. Said he's totally delivered. No drugs. Don't steal. He's a normal boy. She said, we're coming back. Give this testimony. I said, praise God. We love those kind of testimonies. Isn't it fun serving Jesus? Ain't nothing like serving Jesus. And then the, the last curse here, we've got a last one, that uh, the type, before we get into the basic laws that control these, is a witchcraft curse. Now, these are the worst kinds. You don't want to get into the witchcraft stuff. You don't want to go to fortune tellers. You, know, you don't want to start going to the people that uh, call up somebody from the dead. You don't want to start getting into those realms. If, you've been, if you read your horoscope, you better quit it. You better repent and tell God, I'm sorry. Don't depend on your horoscope to control your day. Contru depend on the Holy Ghost to control your day. Don't put out fleeces. You know, people say, well, I'm going to put out a fleece and ask God to do something. No, 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 no. That was in the Old Testament. Today we have the Holy Spirit. And he says the sons and daughters of God are led by the Spirit, not by fleeces. So don't you dare get into the realm of fleeces. Somebody says, well, I'll tell you, I'm going to marry this girl. I see this woman. I think that's the prettiest girl, and I'm going to put out a fleece. If the Lord wants me to marry that girl, I, she's going to say yes when I ask her out on a date. No, 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 no. That don't mean nothing. Or you'd be like the woman that says, well, I'm going to put out a fleece. I know I'm a little overweight, but that Krispy Kreme donut place, I know God loves me to have donuts. And if there's a parking place right in the front door, when I go by this morning, I know he's going to want me to pull in there and get a donut. And so she said, I, there was a parking place in the front door. I said, that's hard to believe. At 6 o'clock in the morning when they're selling the most donuts, that there was a blank space right in the front door. Oh, she said, I only had to drive around the block eight times till I found one. Y'all see where I'm coming from? You drive by and it's not there. He's trying to tell you something. Don't drive around the block eight times waiting for a parking spot. Eventually the fleece is going to come and the devil's going to get you. So don't yield to that beast. Okay. Now that we've gone over the six different kinds of curses, now I'm going to talk about these laws that, that control these curses. Now, there is a cause for every curse. Proverbs 26.2. Proverbs 26.2 says, Like a fluttering sparrow or a darting swallow, an undeserved curse does not come to rest. That means that the devil can't just come by your house and do anything he wants to you just because he hates you. And thank goodness that these laws are in here. Because if these laws were not here, that would be the devil just comes by and say, Well, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna kill you today. I mean I'm just I mean I'm tired of you living, so I'm just gonna wipe you out. If we didn't have curse if we didn't have laws governing these devils, we'd be in trouble, wouldn't we? Because 
When the devil looks at you and sees, especially when he sees your daughter of the king, he said, I hate that woman. I hate that woman with a passion. I'm going to do everything I can to wipe her out. But he can't touch you until you do something wrong. Now, the, the Lord does allow these little beasts to tempt us and test us and put us to certain tests, but he's given us everything in the Word to overcome these things. We don't have to yield to them. I mean, even when the devil, when the devil comes to us in sickness and disease with pains and symptoms, we don't have to buy those. You as a child of God, when a pain or a symptom comes upon you, you don't have to buy it. But that's what we so often do. Then we step back into word curses. In other words, let's say, for instance, you, you get up to 60 years old. You know, they start sending you those little flyers, you know, about 55 or 60. All, all this stuff, you know, you need these little motorized wheelchairs. we got the best motor scooter wheelchairs so you can ride through Walmart. You know, but you're only 55. They're only sending them to you, right? I mean, that's the way, these, that's the, way the world works. See? So they're trying to get you to yield to this. So if you buy those things, one morning you wake up, and there, sure enough, there is a very serious pain in the back of your hand. Now the devil's put that on you. Now he's trying to wait to see what you're going to say about this. What if you say, wow, I got a, whew, I got a bad pain in my hand. Man, that must be arthritis. You know, I mean, after all, I'm 55 years old, or I'm 60 years old, or 40 years old. It all depends. And that pain is so severe. They tell me that that must be arthritis. So, hmm, that must be arthritis. So you go to work and say, how are you doing? Well, I'm doing pretty good, but I must be getting arthritis in my hand. The back of my hand sure is starting to hurt. And, of course, tomorrow it hurts a little more. And how are you doing today? Well, it's worse today than it was yesterday. So I guess my arthritis, my arthritis, you're claiming it. Word curses. Jesus bore that curse for you on the cross 2,000 years ago. You don't have to put up with that. You don't have to claim that. You can tell that devil where to go. First thing you do is say, Devil, have I got a sin somewhere that I've done? Let me make sure I've got no sin. Because it said, No curse comes upon me undeserved. Lord, have I sinned somewhere? Nope. Lord, I have no sin. Okay, devil, out in the name of Jesus. Jesus bore my pain, and he bore my sickness, removed my disease, so I'm not letting you do this to me in the name of Jesus. When you speak to the devil and command him to leave, when you do that, just like James chapter 4, verse 7 says, if you've submitted yourself to the Lord, number one, you must submit yourself to God. You can't be living out there in the devil's camp now. You've got to be walking holy before God, submitting yourself to the Lord. Then he says, resist the devil. How do you resist the devil? With it is written. You quote the Word of God to him. When you take the Word of God and you resist the devil with it is written, it says the devil will do what? He will flee from you. He will flee from you. But now if you start siding in with him, he starts putting a pain on you or a symptom upon you, and you start saying, oh my goodness, I feel bad. Or he reaches up with a poisonous spider and bites you right there on the elbow. He's going to see what you're going to say about that. So, and the reason I'm telling you this, just a few months ago, a brown recluse spider bit me right here on the arm, right out here on, in the barn. I was out there working on a tractor. He bit me right there. I mean, I mean a brown recluse spider, if you look at it in the flesh realm, you know those are very deadly. Very deadly. What do you do? Well, it all depends on where you're at in your spirit walk. So you don't bite. You look at it and say, Oh, Lord, thank you that no deadly poison shall hurt me. The Word of God clearly says in Mark chapter 16, verse 18, No deadly poison shall hurt me. So if no deadly poison shall hurt me, Lord, I'm standing on that. 
That devil bit me. He sent a spider, a brown recluse too. One of them, he's really going to put me to the test. But Lord, I know your word says, by your stripes I was healed. I'm walking in obedience to your word. You told me that I could resist the devil and he'll flee from me. So Lord, thank you. So by the end of the afternoon, your arm's about this big all around right in this area right here. All puffy, you know, and everything. You look at that, you can't go by what you see. You can't go by what you see. You've got to go by the Word. The Word says, by His stripes you were healed. He gave you power and authority over that. He told you he could, you could ask anything. Now, you don't want to speak a curse over yourself. You want to stand on the Word. So if you stand on the Word, you wake up the next morning, your arms swell puffy from right here to right here. Big, all over. Now then you look at what you see and somebody comes in and says, My goodness, what happened to you? Well, a brown recluse spider bit me yesterday. What? Let me, let's go to the doctor. Let me take you to the doctor right quick. Nope, nope, no doctor for me. I got the best doctor in the world. His name's Jesus. You're crazy. Okay, maybe I am, but I'm going to trust Jesus. I am not going to trust that doctor. Well, the next day your arm is so big and so stiff, it's stiff you can't bend it. Now then, what is the devil saying? You fool. So you've waited too late now. They're going to have to amputate that at the shoulder now. If you'd have went, you could have probably had two or three surgeries and you could have got by with that. But now then, look at what you've done. Now see, this is what you have to overcome all the time. The devil's there putting that thought in your mind. You dummy, you fool, look at this. Look at your arm, it's swelled plumb from your wrist under your shoulder. And it's tight, you can't even bend it. I look at it and I say, Lord, I sure am glad you're my healer. I sure am glad that you can't lie. I sure am glad that you bore my sickness, removed my disease on the cross 2,000 years ago. Lord, I sure am glad that you're fighting this battle for me, and all i got to do is stand in faith. Thank you, Lord. The Word says it. It's done. It can't fail. Oh, but the afternoon of Saturday afternoon, it was so big, I finally got Dave back there. He's got everything in his van. I said, Dave, I mean, when I say everything, he's got everything in that van. Everything. I said, do you have one of those surgical kits in your van? He said, I do. I said, do you know where it's at? He said, I do. I said, go get it. He said, what are we going to I said, you're going to do surgery on my arm. I said, we're going to lamp this hole where this devil went into me. We're going to squeeze this devil out of me in the name of Jesus. So we go over there in his house. He starts cutting a hole in my arm, and we start squeezing. Oh, my goodness, you ought to see the good stuff that come out of that. Not exactly stuff you'd want to have over a sandwich, I'll say that. <laughs> it looks awful. But Dave squeezed, and he cut, and he dug in there. He says, that hurt? I said, no. He said, you want me to give you a fifth of whiskey and knock you out for <laughs> Nope, I'm okay. So he cut a hole in my arm, squeezed all that stuff out until it got down. You know, my arm began to get kind of flexible then after he squeezed a bunch of that devil out of me. So we got that thing squeezed out of me. Then the next day, I went to church and taught at church. Of course, wore a long sleeve shirt. Nobody knew it. You don't tell people. That way, what they don't know, they can't speak word curses over you. Well, we continued to praise the Lord, and by, I think about Wednesday that week, I had one great big old hard yellow knot left right there. My arm was all back down to normal. And I tried and tried and tried to push that great big old hard yellow deal that come up in that hole they've cut, and I couldn't get it out. Finally got it sticking out a little bit, so I went and got a pair of those tweezer-type scissor deals, and I put it on there, and I grabbed the hold of that thing and pulled. And finally I pulled about a quarter-inch deal, about three-quarters of an inch long, out of my arm, hard yellow thing, and I thought, well, that's the rest of that devil. I've got him all out in the name of Jesus. I throwed it in the trash, and by Friday, my arm was completely healed, and you couldn't even tell where that beast had ever bit me. So, you stand on the Word. People said, I couldn't do that. Okay, if you can't do that, as soon as that beast bites you, you better get to a doctor. Because if you don't know what faith is, 
You can't do what I did if you don't know the Word of God. If the Word's not hidden in your heart, you cannot do it. Yes, honey? Okay, Let, hold just a second. Let me give you a mic so it'll be on the tape. Uh, they can't hear you any louder, but on the tape. If you have doubt, if doubt is running through your mind, mm. and you're trying to be obedient to the Spirit, what do you do there? Just, well, just keep talking to, to the mind? Well, no, what you've got to do, you've got, you've got to have this issue settled in your heart to start off with. In other words, the thing about it is, you've got to know, you've got to spend enough time with God in the Word to know that He's God, that He defeated the forces of darkness, that you know the promises of God are yes and amen for you every time. When you realize, when you realize, when your spirit has been fed the Word of God with such intensity that you know that God has defeated the forces of darkness 2,000 years ago through His Son, Jesus, and that all of His promises for all of His children are yes and amen every time, just like He said in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20, Whenever you know Second Corinthians one twenty, when he says, All my promises to those that are in me, in Christ, are yes and amen every time. When you know that you know that you know that those are yours, then there will be no doubt. I mean, he said don't doubt in your heart, see. Now the doubt in your head, you can't never get rid of that. You can't never get rid of the doubt in your head because the battleground is the mind. I mean, whenever I would look at this, you can't imagine what the devil would say to me. The devil went out that first morning, that first evening, when my arm was swelled up about this big all over. I looked down at that, and the devil said, you better go have it taken care of right now. I mean, he's speaking. You better go have it taken care of right now. No, devil, no. From my heart, the, my heart speaking, my spirit saying, no. The Word says Jesus is in control. So you can't keep those doubts out of your head. But he never said nowhere in the Word that you must not doubt in your head. He said, you must not doubt in your heart. So if your heart or your spirit, man, is driving you, then you're in control, and, or the spirit's in control. And then the, by the spirit being in control, you will be able to control yourself. Now, just like when you talk about the doubts, I'll give you an example. Since Sharon's here today, and she's a live example, she told me when she came to me at a healing school in January, when she came up that afternoon after the teaching, she said, Mr. Scrivener, I want you to know that I've had this problem for 30 years. And she said, at least 100 people have prayed for me, and nothing's ever happened. I said, well, honey, it's something you've got to know. Number one, probably you had never been asked to repent of your sins. That's number one. And I said, then number two, you've never come to God with a promise from His Word that guaranteed you could have what you wanted. So I said, if you repent of your sins... And then we take a promise where God said, this is to my children. I said, you're one of his daughters. I said, we take a promise. And then I said, number three, you probably never had anybody pray for you in faith expecting it to happen. But I said, when you repent and, I, and we take a promise and we're going to stand on it, I said, I'm going to reach over and touch you in the name of Jesus and command that devil to leave you in your back and for you to be healed in the name of Jesus. And I said, I'm going to guarantee you the Lord Jesus Christ is going to heal you when I do that. And I reached over and touched her, and she was instantly healed. Instantly. Pain for 30 years was instantly healed. Now, see what happens? You see the difference? And the reason I told that about her, because she's sitting right here. You know, that way she, she knows what happened in January, don't you, Sharon? And it totally changed your life in January, didn't it? Yes. But now, see what she didn't tell you a while ago, which she has told in church. 
and I will say that you don't mind if I say that, right? See, what she didn't know when she was a young woman, when she was involved in the car wreck, she was living in an adulterous affair. See, she didn't realize what he'd done. She didn't realize it opened the door to the demonic world. She was just satisfying the flesh, like most of us. You see where I'm coming from? So she was living where she shouldn't have been living. So she had a door open to the devil. She was involved in a car wreck. A demon came into her back in a whiplash and only kept it there in excruciating pain, going to the doctors all those times, one to three to five times a week, like she said, for 23 years, no telling how much pain and suffering this precious daughter of the king went through for 30 years until she learned she had to repent, come to God on behalf of his word, to break the curse, and then have somebody pray and say. And when we did, the king instantly healed her. Now, for 30 years, she suffered. But my wife was the same thing. She suffered for about that many years with an incurable disease herself. She didn't have any idea. I mean, I met her in a Kinko's copy store two years ago in May. And I didn't know she had an incurable disease, just like Sharon had an incurable disease. But whenever she comes out of healing school in June, she learned the same thing. She learned you've got to repent, you've got to come to God on behalf of His Word, and then you've got to have somebody pray for you in faith. And she came up and asked me to pray for her. She repented of all of her sins. I laid hands on her touch, and Jesus instantly healed her of a 30-year problem she had been, not been able to get rid of. Just like Sharon. Sharon got instantly healed, too. But there's many people that's happened to. Many people. Now, does God want to heal you? Yes, He wants it. Does He want you sick? No. He does not want you sick. But like our brother over here said, I thought I was suffering for Jesus. You know, I thought I had sickness because <laughs> I thought I was suffering for Jesus. Didn't know Jesus was trying to get me sick. Well, let me tell you, well and being able to serve the king and go play golf is a whole lot better than being sick, right? <laughs> He'll even agree with that. He will even agree with that. I tell you what, it's 3 o'clock, and what we're going to do right now, usually at 3 o'clock, we take a 20-minute break. But before we take the break, here at the Healing School, we take up an offering to support the ministry. So if you want to give a check to our ministry today, you make it out to TLSM. Now, I don't know if we have some envelopes back there on the back, if we have some back there. Uh, if you want to give cash, you can put it in there and write your name and address on it. And we'll be happy to uh, send you a, 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 a donation receipt at the end of the year. If anybody needs an envelope, if you'll hold up your hand, well, Wally will give you an envelope. Wally, we got a few up here. And if you're just going to give a check, you don't need to put it in an envelope. You can just write your name and just write TLS in. Surely your checks have your address and everything on them. And this is the way we pay for our tapes and everything we do. There was a lady over here, Wally. Some of these people uh, needed uh, envelopes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've been asked that question a million. In fact, I'm going to sit down one of these days not too far into the future, and I'm going to make a tape on Paul's thorn in the flesh. I have, there's more people, now I'm going to tell you, there's been more people that's been sick and afflicted and stuck by Paul's thorn in the flesh. That, yeah, I mean to tell you, Paul was not sick. Paul was not weak. He was strong. He was not sick, and he was not afflicted. And, I mean, I've had everything. Well, Paul left Trophimus sick in Miletus. Okay, yeah. So Paul laid hands on him and prayed for him, cast the devil out of him, or whatever he did, or at least laid hands on him. And the man, whenever I pray for people, some of you people I prayed for got healed instantly. Some of you did not. Some of you got healed over a period of time. 
And I've seen it both ways. I mean, some, sometimes it takes weeks or even months for your healing to fully manifest. Sometimes it happens instantly. But regardless, the promises are yours. Now, I don't know what God's doing there in your life, but you've got to believe. Now, if you believe it's done and you walk out believing that it is done, you will receive your healing. If you'll continue to speak the right things, believing God. I've seen, like uh, Ed Brock, uh, 1986, with stage 4 lymphoma terminal cancer. We anointed him with oil and prayed over him over in Lakeland Baptist Church in 1986, and it took six months for him to get well. But he got well. But I mean, he was on his deathbed. I mean, he had a week or two left to live. Doctors said nothing they can do. But the reason that happened, God had lots of reasons. Number one, we were all Baptists, and none of us had ever seen God do a healing in our life. There was 28 of us men met and prayed over Ed Brock that Monday night. Now, I'm going to tell you, if God had have instantly healed Ed Brock and made him totally well, there would have probably been 28 heart attacks he'd had to raise from the dead. See, so we didn't know what we were doing. I mean, we'd never seen God do a miracle. So we, he's kind of having to work with us slowly, you know, and, and because he knows what he's doing, and he doesn't want to damage his other children. But, you know, that lit our fires, although it took six months for him to get well. It really lit my fire. In fact, I am here today teaching the Word of God like I'm teaching it because I saw God raise Ed Brock up in 1986, my first supernatural healing from terminal cancer, a man that every doctor said had to die. There was no way he could be lived. He could live. But yet God spoke to me in front of his room and told me what to tell him to do in an audible voice, and I did, although I had to go back three times. He would not believe but after three times, he finally did, and he believed, and Ed Brock is alive and well today, whereas he should have died in 1986. But this is 2004, and Ed Brock is still alive and well today, and he's never had a reoccurrence of cancer in his body since 1986. So, Okay, so if you've got your checks made out or you've got your envelopes filled out, if you uh, we got uh, a bucket or something, Wally, or a box or whatever, uh, come up here and pass them down uh, to the people and... Let them give. Remember, you're giving to the Lord, and he's, that's how he keeps us going. And uh, when you give, he says, Give, and it shall be given unto you. Press down, shaken together, running over, shall man give into your bosom. And that's why I give away everything I do. My tapes and everything, that's why I don't sell them. It makes it simple for two reasons. Number one, it makes it a lot easier to keep up with records. I don't have to worry about, well, you gave me, you bought a tape for $10, and you give me $20. The tape was worth $10 or $5 or whatever, and you gave me $20, now I've got to figure all that out. If you give me $20 and you take 20 tapes, I still give you a $20 tax deduction at the end of the year. And that's the way it works. And I will have to say, I have given away thousands and thousands and thousands of tapes. It's into the tens of thousands. All of them we give away free and post-state. And, I mean, Joshua and the guys at the ministry center, they send out boxes and boxes. I, I think it was... 48 or 50 or 52 boxes I mailed Friday myself and they've got another stack of them out there to send out we send everything out free and post-state and I will have to say I have never in our ministry been short of money God has provided for us we have never we have never asked anybody for a dime we don't beg and say if you don't give we're going off the air nope I ain't going to ask nobody for nothing. As long as I'm doing what God says and He keeps me on the air, then I'm going to keep on. When He stops turning the money in, I'm going to start doing something else. But as long as He's bringing the money in, I'm going to give away the tapes. I'm going to increase the healing schools. I'm going to go do whatever. I don't. People say, will you come? How much do you charge? I said, I don't charge. 
You mean you'll come all the way to Pittsburgh or Oregon and you don't even charge us? Nope. You just buy me an airplane ticket? I used to say buy me one airplane ticket. Now I got to have two. Now I got to have two. <laughs> now the other day, my bride told me the other day, I got a little stern with her the other day. <clears throat> she got a ticket. She was driving too fast. She called me on Sunday morning trying to get here. Uh, that was before we got married. And uh, she was trying to get out here to my house so we could go to church together. And it was late, and she called, and she said, I just got stopped by a police officer. I said, I can tell you how not to do that. <laughs> She's already almost in tears. I said, don't speed. Well, I said the wrong day. <laughs> my little delicate flyer almost lost it. Uh, she, she was there. But uh, anyway, the other day she told me, she said, you can be stern with me next time. I said, on what? She said, next time I want to go out of town somewhere and I don't, you don't, you're not going with me or you're going, you can be stern saying, no, we must go together. No. So she said, I can be stern with her in that area. In other words, I can't go out of town without her. She can't go out of town without me. So it all depends on whether you're fitting into her category, right? Her criteria. <laughs> so anyway, Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we ask you to bless us all. If we take a few minute break, get a drink of water, do the things we need to do and come back in about 20 minutes and start over. I ask you to bless everybody. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, your release bathroom's over here on the right-hand side, uh, and there's a bathroom in the back of the nursery, but there's a bathroom and elders and so forth in the church, and, and they want me to come up, but this pastor says, you know, i did, I never seen a miracle. No church I've ever been to said, this guy can't be real. You know, he can't be real. You know, he's just got to be saying these things. So David called said, Thurman, we need at least two people we can talk to that's been miraculously healed. So I told Elaine, I said, let me give you at least four different people, just four, since I asked for two, let me give you four people that have either received a tremendous miracle from God, a deliverance from God, or a healing from God. I mean, things that are not just supernatural. I said, like Johnny Brumfield, the man down in New Orleans, that both of his crushed knees were healed. I said, that's pretty awesome. I said, like little Michelle Greg, eight years ago, her daddy, we cast a demon out of her, and overnight she was instantly healed. Her feet was eat up, toenails coming off, blood running out of her feet and everything else. 11 o'clock at night, cast a demon out of her. 7 o'clock the next morning, her little feet and toenails looked like brand new. That little gal's on fire for Jesus. I mean, she is a wonderful little lady of the Lord. I mean, she's a, she is not a normal high school girl. Like She's 14 years old, and that girl walks in obedience. Somebody on the basketball team spits out a word of profanity, she'll stop right there and say, we don't do that in this place. She ain't got a friend in school. Not a friend. Not a friend. Only place she's got any friends is those that she goes to church with because she's holy. She realizes what opens the door to the devil. I see her in church every Sunday. She's just a beautiful little lady, but she learns what sin does. And so she don't want nothing else to do with that devil. So anyway, we give them names of people and uh, they're, I, in fact, to Sharon. I even give them Sharon's name and ask Sharon if she would be happy to call or let them call her. And Sharon said, I'll call them. <laughs> she wants to give testimony about what God has done for her. But most people do. <clears throat> so uh, the thing about it is, it's amazing that here we are, members of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, and even the pastors in the churches are getting to the point where we are so dead 
that we don't never see God do a miracle or a healing in our church. And then whenever you see somebody that says they are walking in it, in another church they got to have confirmation. In fact, even out in Oregon, where I'm going here in a couple of weeks, one of the organizations out there had a man that flew down here from Oregon to a healing school. And, of course, he got healed. And he goes back out there, and they sent me, I don't know, half a dozen nasty emails. <laughs> you have ruined our friend. He used to go to movies with us. He used to watch television with us. He won't go to nothing. He won't do nothing we love to do now. You have literally ruined our friend. Well, I taught him how to walk in divine health. I taught him how to stay healed. I taught him you can't live in the devil's world. You can't live over here where the devil lives and walk in divine health. Just like night, last night, I was talking to a young man, and he showed me a picture, or a great big picture he had on his wall. I said, who's that? Well, he said, Thurman, that's one of the best guitar players in history. I said, how old was he when he died? He said, 27. I said, he lives in the world. He said, you never knew that young man? That man? I said, no. He said, Thurman, I can't believe you don't know who he is. I said, if you live in the world, you'll know where he, who he is. But if you live where I live, you don't never listen to people like that. I would not even turn the radio on to listen to a secular person playing music. I would not turn the television on and watch even the news unless there was something special somebody told me about or I was wanting to see what they thought the weather was going to be like tomorrow. That is the only reason I would turn on the news because I don't, I don't worry about that. I realize that I have been given dominion in the faith world. But what if a tornado comes? I said, no problem. I just rebuke it and drive it away in the name of Jesus. No devil of hell is going to mess with me in the name of Jesus. I've done that a lot of times. So anyway, praise the Lord. Now that most of us are back in here, not all of us, but most of us, we're still coming in. I realize it takes a few minutes for everybody to, uh, when you've got a crowd this big, uh, if everybody has to go to the bathroom, we don't have enough bathrooms for everybody to go over that quick. Yes, ma'am? Oh, okay, sure. While we're waiting on people, the rest of them to come back in, let me give you a microphone. And you can stand here close to me where they can hear on this mic. Oh, okay. Praise the Lord. Uh, we met, my husband and I are from Louisiana, and we met Thurman at the Bill Gothard uh, Bible Conference in uh, Big Sandy in May. And uh, he was talking about how if he wanted to stay well and healed, the best way to, was to stay away from doctors. So it was about time for me to uh, go to the doctor for my thyroid medication because I've been on it since I was in my 20s. And I am like I was like a vegetable without it. And uh, so I told him, I said, okay, I said, you need to uh, heal me in, uh, in the name of Jesus. And I said, uh, then I won't have to go to the doctor. So he did, and that, I went back to the motel that night, threw my thyroid medication away, haven't taken it since. And... Uh, I've got more energy now than I had in my 20s. Joel can't even keep up with me. <laughs> and uh, to add a little uh, P.S. to that, that's why I wanted to get up here and tell you, uh, Thurman prayed over us earlier today, and uh, the pain in my back that I've had since I was in my teens is no longer there. Amen. Thank Praise you. the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank oh, you. glory. Thank <laughs> you. Praise Thank the you. King. Don't we serve an awesome Lord? Woo! 
Glory to God. And you want to know why I do what I do? There's no, there's no doubt in your mind why I do what I do, right? I'm going to tell you a story now to start off with that uh, I, I realize this is a powerful story and this will give you an idea of what sin does. Last year, a year ago, I was down in Louisiana teaching in a church down there and they brought a woman in a wheelchair in. She was a beautiful woman, about 70. And uh, I asked her, after, after about three days, I didn't even minister to her until the end of the session. And I found out that evening that she was a Catholic. And some of her friends had heard about uh, some of the things God had done in my ministry, so they invited her to come since she was in a wheelchair. Well, at the end of it, I ministered to her one-on-one there that evening. And I sat down with her and I said, ma'am, I said, how long have you been in a wheelchair? And she said, well, I've been in here pretty solid for two years, but I've been in it a lot for the last four years. And uh, I said, uh, what did you change anything in your life that put you in a wheelchair? Well, she said, you know, Thurman, no, I'm just getting older, and so my body is just deteriorating. I said, no, ma'am, when you're 66 years old, your body don't just normally deteriorate. You should be strong and able to do some wonderful things. But I said, some way you have opened the door to the demonic world. I said, uh, are you married? She said, well, no, I used to be. I said, well, what happened? She said, well, my husband died. And uh, I said, okay, your husband died. I said, was you totally normal all those years? Oh, yeah. She said, I was totally normal and well. And, and she said, I could go do anything I wanted to do. I've always been very active. And because she was a slim, trim lady. And she said, but, you know, I'm just getting older and my body's deteriorating. I said, no, ma'am. I said, you've done something that's opened the door to the demonic world. I said, see, the Lord says that if we walk in obedience to His Word, we walk in divine health, and no sickness and no disease comes upon us because He bore our sickness and removed our disease on the cross. But the Lord also said in His Word that sin, if you serve sin, then His servants you will be, and that sin, when it is fully matured, will bring forth death. I said, in the process of it bringing forth death, it will make you weaker and weaker and weaker, and then it will bring forth a death that's premature, so you won't live out your long, healthy life that the Lord planned for you to live. So I said, have you done anything that you can think of that maybe before uh, this started coming upon you, did you change anything in your lifestyle, or did any kind of sin come into your life? And she thought a few minutes, and she said, well, I, I, I don't really... No, maybe, I mean, maybe I have sinned in some ways, but she said, don't we all sin? I said, well, no, not technically. I said, those of us that learn how to walk by faith, we stop sinning. And I said, we may make a mistake once in a while, but if we do a little one, the Spirit will immediately convict us and we will uh, repent and we will walk holy before God. But I said, it's obvious you're not doing that. Something is wrong. And I said, ma'am, I said, uh, it's your, when your husband died, did you get involved in any kind of a sexual relationship? Because so many people do that. I said, you've not remarried. No, 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 I've not remarried. Well, she said, well, yeah, yes, I have been a little bit involved. I said, what happened? Well, she said, uh, I was kind of lonely. My husband died. He'd been dead three, two or three or four years, whatever it was. And she said, uh, I just kind of, you know, wanted a, a relationship, just mostly somebody to talk to. And she said, the meter reader that comes by, about 50-year-old man, come by, read the meters every month, said, one day I was out there in the yard, he came by, and I 
got to talking with him, and then finally, you know, I invited him in for a cup of coffee or whatever, you know, a cup of tea or something. And she said, over the next two or three months, we became pretty good friends. And she said, uh, yes, then I did get involved with him. When he would come by to read the meter, he'd come in, stay an hour or two, and we would get in bed together and said, then he would go. So she said, yes, I did get sexually involved with him. I said, after you got sexually involved with him, your body started degenerating. Well, she said, I, I, I don't know. I guess I didn't ever put that together. I said, most people don't. But I said, after that happened, your body started degenerating because you were living in sin. You'd open the door to the demonic world and the devil come in. And now then you're just agreeing with him. You're thinking that your body is degenerating because of your age. But all it's really, it's because you've opened the door to the demonic world. I said, now I'll tell you what you'll do. If you will repent of your sins, God will forgive you. And then he will heal you. And then you can walk out of that wheelchair. So she said, you really think that I'm in this wheelchair because of my sin? I said, I know you are. I know you are. So I said, are you willing to repent? I said, you know what that means? She said, yes, I know what that means. Repent, that means stop doing it. I said, that's what it means. So she repented. She said, Lord, I'm sorry. I didn't know this. She said, I was just satisfying the flesh. But she said, Lord, I repent and I will never do this again. Will you please forgive me? I said, and he has. Because First John 1, 9, he says he will. I said, now then, ma'am, I said, take my hand and stand up and walk. And that lady reached out, took my hand, stood up, and she's standing in her wheelchair. I said, now then, take a step. And she took a step. And within just a few minutes' time, she was walking all over the place. And when I went down there a year later, last March, that woman came to church. She's still walking normal, has never been back in a wheelchair. I asked her when I saw her last month, I said, How, you look beautiful. She said, I feel wonderful, Mr. Scribner. I said, and you stopped sinning, didn't you? She said, yes, I did. I said, when you learn that sin brings forth death, it changes the way you do business, doesn't it? She said, yes, it most definitely does. Now, if more of us realize that sin, when the Lord says sin brings forth death and he's no respecter of persons, if more of us believe that, we would stop sinning, wouldn't we? Just like a man in Bible study the other night said, uh, you know, we're sinners and we sin all day, every day. And I looked at him right now and I said, speak for yourself. I said, I don't walk there no more. I don't walk there no more. Well, he said, you know we can't go through life without sinning. I said, that's not what the Word says. The Word says when we became Christians, we died to sin. We're to live unto righteousness. So you need to stay dead. If you stay dead to sin, then you'll live unto righteousness. Because Paul said, if a man is dead, therein how can he sin if he's dead? So what we don't do, we don't stay dead. We resurrect the flesh. And then we go live in the flesh. And when we live in the flesh, of course, that's when we transgress the law of God and that's when the devil has legal right to get us and that's where that's where he wants to live that's just like out there on that highway right out there on that highway I think it's 55 miles an hour so if you have a car and it's registered and your six inspection sticker is current and your license plate is current and your insurance is current and you have a driver's license and it's current you're living under grace and you can go out there and get in your car and pull it out on that road and you can drive anywhere you want to up and down that road as long as you don't drive over 55. And nobody can touch you. Now you let your inspection sticker expire 
they can stop you. You let your driver's license expire. If they happen to stop you for some other reason to check your driver's license expired, they can give you a ticket for that too. If they see your inspection stickers expired or your license plate's expired, or if they stop you and your insurance is expired, and if you got one or two things on your windshield that's expired and they stop you and everything's expired, they can just haul you off to jail if they want to because you've transgressed the law. As long as you stayed within grace, you met all the requirements. You're walking in obedience to the laws of the land. And they've given you grace to drive your car on the road as long as you meet all their requirements, right? Nobody bothers you if all those things are current, right? And you have your seatbelt on. And you have your seatbelt There's another lady. Thank you. And you have your seatbelt on. That's right. If you don't have your seatbelt on and they see that thing hung up on the deal, they can stop you again for that. And if they stop you for that, then if your driver's license expired and your insurance is expired, they're going to haul you off to jail, right? You know? Or if you're driving down the road at 75. I mean, everything can be perfectly normal. Everything. But you're driving, I mean, the speed is 55, you don't have to be driving at 60 or 65. But if you're driving 75 or 80 for sure, you're just asking for it. So, they're going to stop you. Now, then, everything was current perfectly. One thing, you had your seatbelt on and everything, you just were driving 10 miles an hour with a speed limit. Can they give you a ticket? Sure they can, because you transgressed the law. In other words, you'd fail from their grace. You'd transgress the law, and they have the legal right to get you. That's exactly the way it works in the spirit world. If you walk in grace, you don't break God's law, you walk in love, the devil has no right to get to you, no claim to you, he can't touch you, no evil can come near you, you can walk in divine health. But don't go out and transgress the law. Don't go out and break the rules. If you go out and break the rules, you just get angry with one brother, one sister. But you don't know what she did to me, Thurman. I'll hold a grudge against that woman the rest of my life. Okay. I mean, I've heard people say that. And then I've seen them on their deathbed, too. And I've had, especially men, on their deathbed with unforgiveness whenever they realize the unforgiveness what put them there, and then it comes down to a point. Do you want to live or die? Well, I want to live. Then you have one alternative. You must forgive that person. If you forgive that person, repent, then I can lay hands on you and drive that devil out of you and get you healed. And I've seen numerous people healed whenever they repented of their unforgiveness. Now, then there's a moral behind that. Don't ever hold a grudge against anybody for anything. I don't care what they do to you or what they say to you. Don't never take an offense. Don't ever hold a grudge of nothing. Walk in love. That's why our Lord told us, He said, He looked everyone else right in the eye and He said, A new commandment I give to you. And I command you to love one another. I command you. Not if, not if He's been good to you or she's been good to you. I command you to love one another. Because He knew the minute that we learn to walk in love, like He says, no evil can befall us. And that's where He wants us to walk. No evil shall befall you. But you must walk in love for that to happen. Now then, let's press on here. After we've talked about these laws here, the, the, there's a cause for every curse, Proverbs 26, 2. Now, curses are regulated by spiritual law, which is God's law. You cannot accidentally stumble into a curse. It is God who decides whether you're cursed or blessed, and His decision is based upon your obedience to His commandments. So who is it that's going to determine whether you're blessed or cursed? 
You are. You are. You're, it's, in other words, God's going to make the determination. Yes, God's going to do it, but He's going to do it upon, are you obedient or disobedient? Did you sin somewhere and open the door? Or did you not sin? If you didn't sin, then God's going to determine, Sharon, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to bless you abundantly, girl. So now then, if you're going to walk in obedience to Him, you don't have to ever be sick again, do you? No. And so, does it pay good dividends to walk in love and be obedient? Amen. You learned that after 30 years of pain and suffering, didn't you? I mean, we may be hard learners, but 30 years is enough, right, Sharon? That's enough for a lifetime for anybody. Now then, I'm going I'm to read to you Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 15. In fact, Deuteronomy 28, 15, this is, this is found three times in the first 15 verses. Now, if thou wilt... Now, this one, of course, this was verse 15. This is the first time. I'm sorry. The other ones were, uh, were the blessings. But in, in the curses, in verse 15, if you, if thou will not hearken unto the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Now, out of your disobedience, you're going to determine whether you're going to be blessed or cursed. The Lord clearly told us in His Word, Today I set before you blessings and curses, life and death I set before you. But He said, Choose, and choose life that you and your children may live. Now, if everybody would learn, everybody would learn in the world we live in today that you cannot go out and live a promiscuous sexual lifestyle and you and your children be blessed. If every man and woman would learn that and every one of them would be obedient to God's Word, and there would be no sex before marriage. There would be no living together before marriage. And a man and a woman would stay clean and pure before God. They court a little. Be careful where they put their hands. Don't handle each other. Be careful what you do. And then get married and go to bed the first time on your, married, your wedding night. You would see God would bless your wedding bed in a supernatural way beyond your wildest dreams. Now, let me tell you something else right here that for the men and women, old or young, something that so many people do not do. People, when they even get married, even married people that are Christians, never call in bed together and come before God and pray and ask Him to bless what's going to happen in that marriage bed. They just do it. And it's never blessed. Not like it will be. You want to see a marriage relationship blessed. You and your spouse, either while you're laying there in that bed or while you're kneeling beside that bed, you come before the Lord and say, Lord, we're your son. We're your daughter. We're married. We have the, the marriage bed is not defiled before you, but we ask you today, tonight, or whatever it is, that you bless this relationship that we're fixing to have in such a wonderful way that I will be fully satisfied and my mate will be fully satisfied in what happens here tonight in the name of Jesus. You pray that and see what God will do. He will bless your socks off. I'm serious. He will bless your socks off. Don't ever just, don't ever, when, Paul, when the Lord says, in everything in prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's what he meant. And I even know people that sat down to a meal. I mean, Christians 
that'll come running in and sit down to a meal and eat a meal morning, noon, and night and never pray a blessing over what they're fixing to eat. Or for sure they'll come in to drink a glass of water and you never do that. Just like when Cheryl and I was out there at that Assembly of God Church a few Sundays ago in Hobbs, New Mexico, the pastor and his wife wanted to take us to dinner. So they brought the tea and the water and set it down there and everybody starts to drink and I said, you know, we haven't blessed this yet. Oh, he said, oh, okay, okay. So he stopped and they stopped drinking and I spoke a blessing over it. Well, then they, they ordered a salad. We didn't order a salad. In fact, our meal was going to be a salad, but they had a special salad before they ate a steak and rib dinner. So they brought them a salad and they started eating. I said, you know, we didn't bless that. He said, but we blessed the water. I said, but we only blessed the water and the tea. So I spoke a blessing over their salad. And then they brought the main course. By this time, he's gun-shy. They don't start eating. He said, I guess you want to, want to bless this too. I said, absolutely. So we bless the main course. And then whenever they come to refill the tea glasses, when they come, I said, now, Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to bless these refills. He said, do you pray over everything? I said, yes, everything. Just like Cheryl, when Cheryl and I first started you might say dating after the Lord told us we were to get married and I asked her to marry me then we started dating and so every time she'd call me on the phone before I'd let off, get off the phone I'd ask the Lord to bless her take care of her watch over her protect her and do all these things she said honey nobody has ever done this to me I said but I will because I said now then I want the Lord to supernaturally bless you and everything he does and he's limited himself to my prayers of faith if I don't ask him he can't do it so I said, I want you to be blessed. So she's found out just like the other day. And we see she's living in a home with a man of faith. She's never done that before. Now, she's holding her head down. You know what I want to say next? Anyway, she gets up. She said, I'm going to fix breakfast for us. I said, okay. So she said, how would you like to have some eggs and bacon? I said, that would be wonderful. So she goes in, and I get up, and I come in there, and she reaches in the refrigerator, and she takes the milk, takes the cap, and starts to pour it in the sink. I said, what are you doing, honey? She said, well, honey, I'm pouring out the milk. It's three weeks past the date. I said, but you're living in a house with a man of faith. And I said, we can have anything we say. I said, the milk is not nothing wrong with it. It's beautiful and sweet. She said, honey, look at the date. It's three weeks past date. I said, that doesn't mean nothing in a home with a man of faith. I said, take a sip. She said, I'm not even going to smell of it. <laughs> I said, then pour me a glass. I got a glass, and she said, you want to really drink? I said, I'm sure. I said, it's perfect. She poured me a glass, and she said, you're going to smell it first? I said, no. I guarantee it's beautiful and sweet. I put it up there, and I took a nice big drink of it. She said, how does it taste? I said, like beautiful, sweet milk. She said, it couldn't be good. I handed it to her. She sniffed it. <laughs> She said, well, it smells okay. She tasted it. She said, it is good. I said, I told you, you're living in the house with a man of faith. Nothing is impossible with us. Now, see, we have cut God short. Have we not? I mean, so the average person, just because the milk is three weeks out of date, normally it's lump. Are you, are you beginning to see what it is to walk in faith, young lady? Oh, now see, now see. 
Did Jesus say in Mark eleven twenty three, whatever I say with my mouth, if I believe it with my heart, I can have it? Did he really say that? Well, if he really did say that, then why do I need to conform to the ways of the world? Why don't I believe that Jesus meant what he said? So why can't I say, honey, there's nothing wrong with the milk. I don't care how long it's been in there. It's okay. It's sweet and pure. Did Jesus take the water pots when they ran out of wine at the wedding and says, fill them with water? And then he says, now take it in to the master of ceremonies. And they tuck it in there and he dips down in there and he takes a sip and he says, boy, nearly everybody brings out the good stuff first. And then after everybody's had too much to drink, they bring out the old bad stuff. But you save the last, the best wine till last. What did Jesus do with that water? He turned it into wine. Good, sweet, juicy, wonderful wine. Now, if Jesus could do that, and then he turned to you and me and said in John fourteen twelve, I tell you the truth. Not only can you do what I have been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. So what is it that we don't understand about those kind of promises? I mean, Jesus is the one who said that. So who are you going to believe? It just comes down to it takes a doctor of theology to mess up that. You know, you can't be a simple man. You either got to be a very well-trained preacher or a doctor of theology to mess up something that simple. I mean, that's just like when Jesus said, cast out the devil, lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. Now, I mean, I don't know about you, but if I were to reach up, just like a while ago when I prayed for you and your back went out, you know, we prayed, or if I'd done this, or whenever I touched Sharon back in January, I just laid my hand on her after she repented, and I said, I rebuke that spirit. I command you to come out and be healed in the name of Jesus because Jesus said for me to drive out the Spirit and lay my hands on you and to be healed. I mean, was that very hard on my part? But it sure did pay serious consequences for you, didn't it, Sharon? You won't never be the same, will you, girl? Hey, it takes a doctor of theology to mess up something that simple. Lay hands, no, hands, okay. Lay hands on the sick and they shall get well. Do it exactly like the king says. I mean, I, I thought that was pretty easy, didn't you? Lay hands on the sick and they'll get well. Mark chapter 16, verse 18. If Jesus said do that, why in the world aren't Christians doing that? I mean, why don't you, when you're going somewhere, when you learn these kind of things, and you learn these were given to you as a Christian to use for the kingdom of God, you'll start looking for people. You'll be walking down the street, and you'll find somebody, and the guy may be walking around, he's got a snotty nose or something, and you walk and say, Ma'am, can I pray for you? What, 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 I don't need prayer. Yeah, you do. Don't you see you're sick or you're afflicted? Your head stopped up. You got all them allergies? Oh, yeah, but I've had this for 10 years. That's okay. No, nothing can help me. I can. I'm a Christian. Do you know Jesus? No, I don't know Jesus. I don't even believe in that Jesus. Well, good. You're just exactly the kind I need to deal with. What do you mean? I mean, I'm going to lay hands on you and Jesus is going to heal you. Now, I'm going to tell you, Jesus is the one going to do this. It's not going to be me. But I'm going to lay my hands on you, and Jesus is going to heal you. And the guy said, oh, my gosh, woman, you're, are you crazy? He said, no, I just believe in Jesus. You just reach up and put your, both hands on their shoulder, and you say, you be healed in the name of Jesus. Say, Lord, thank you, it's done. And you turn and walk off. And say, by the way, it's Jesus that done it. Don't forget it. 
And then you'll be just like uh, Don Busby was out here the other day when a man came to his house, and he was a, a, a Buddhist, and he was out there uh, draining the fire plugs, and uh, Don went out there, just happened to go out there, and uh, the guy, uh, Don was going to say something to him, talk to him about Jesus, and the guy said, well, I don't have time to talk. He said, i got to run, i got to turn this fire plug on and let it drain, and then I've got to go down to the hospital. They just called and said, my mother had a heart attack, and said, don't think she'll live through the day. And Don said, oh, well, I serve Jesus. Let me pray for your mother. The guy said, well, okay. And so Don rebuked the devil, commanded him to get his hands off of that man's mother, called her name and everything, and said, Jesus is a healer. You need to know who he is. And so the guy said, okay. So, you know, so he leaves. He gets down to the hospital and walks in, and his mother is getting ready to go home. And they said, what happened? Well, we said, your mother came in here with an apparent heart attack. We checked her, and all the symptoms were there. And all of a sudden, a few minutes ago, about 20 minutes ago, she just got normal. And we checked her, and there's not a sign of a symptom of a heart attack. No, so she's ready to go home. Guess who's knocking on Don's door in a little bit? Mr. Busby, can I talk to you more about this Jesus? You see where I'm coming from? He come back out there to shut the fire plug off, but he wants to know about this Jesus. And Don Buzzy brought that man, that little Buddhist in, and led that man to Jesus and got him saved, all because he prayed the prayer of faith for his mother could drove the devil out. Now, see, it's time we as Christians start doing what Jesus told us to do. It's not you and me that's doing it. It's the king that's doing it, but he's going to use you to get it done. Now, then, the reason he's going to use you, because he was doing the same things 2,000 years ago when he came to this earth. He was healing the sick, bringing them in, and taking them out of the devil's kingdom. And today, we in the church don't even believe Jesus is the healer. And so we're living under the curses of the law, all because we don't believe these mighty things that God told us to do. Now, I have walked across this country for the last 20 years and done these kind of things and seen numerous people healed and delivered. I mean, pray over a woman in a restaurant and see her get healed, or cast the devil out of some boy in your office and see him get delivered of drugs or alcohol. I mean, after all, who is the king? It's Jesus. And when you start doing some things in faith, you're going to start seeing the king do some wonderful things. And hey, the church should not be sick and afflicted. We ought to be casting devils out of the world out there and getting them saved. But it's amazing. We go to church and we don't even believe it in church. Isn't that sad? It is sad that we don't believe these things. Now then, but the Lord says, if you will not, in Deuteronomy 28:15, if you will not hearken or hear, the voice of the Lord thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, all these curses shall come upon you and overtake you. Now, blessings as well as curses are subject to divine regulation. One does not stumble into the blessings of God. The following verses is what you have to do to be blessed. Now, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 1, it says, If you shall, and it shall come to pass, if you, <clears throat> if you shall hearken, diligently under the voice of the Lord thy God to observe and to do all the commandments, do all the commandments which I command you today that the Lord thy God will set thee on high above all nations of the earth. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you shall hearken unto the voice of the Lord your God. So now then, if we will just be obedient and do what the Lord tells us to do, if we'll read His Word. Now, how are we going to know what to do if we don't know what the Word says? 
If you don't know what the Word says, you're in trouble, because I guarantee you the flesh will cause you to sin. The flesh will cause you to sin. So you must know the Word of God to know what the Lord says to be able to walk where His commandments are. Because in the church today, we're children of God. We're not supposed to be living in sin. I mean, the, the Lord tells us over and over in the New Testament. You don't even have to be concerned, really, about reading the Old Testament. Just read the New Testament. And it'll tell you because that's the covenant you and I live under. But under the New Covenant, He says, are we supposed to walk in faith? Yes, we are. Are we supposed to walk in any kind of sin? No. We're supposed to not sin. Now, if we sin... The part we have missed and the part that I missed most of my life was realizing that when I sinned, I opened a door to a devil. And that devil came into this flesh in this body and began to torment this body. Before I learned that, I didn't understand why some people in the church were sick and afflicted. I didn't understand why one couple would have three, four, five babies and it'd all be perfectly normal. No problem. I wouldn't understand why that they'd have three babies and it'd all be normal, and then they have a fourth baby, and that one would be handicapped. Or they might have one, and it'd be normal, and then the second one would be handicapped or afflicted, and then two, three, and four would be normal again. What is this? And then I started going to these people and sitting down and talking with them. Then I would find out that they had five babies and everything was normal, and the sixth baby was abnormal. And I'd say to the man, start off with the man, did you commit some kind of sin? Did you do something wrong, primarily in the area of adultery? Did you commit adultery on your wife between that last child? Well, yeah, I did. I said, that's what I thought. You went out and sinned. Or you get in touch with a woman. Did you commit adultery? Well, yeah, I did. Or while I was carrying that baby. My husband was out of town a lot, and I got lonesome, and a guy came by, and I invited him in, and we had sex a few times. Hey, over and over and over, the, the story just began to fall into place. If the woman was totally pure and clean, and she never had a sexual relationship with nobody but her husband, never, and he was clean and pure, and he never had any relationship, all their babies were all normal. As a rule, you'll never see a variance from this. And then I heard a man say something the other day, that this man had had a tremendous opening into the spirit world. He got to go see it. And in fact, he had to die to do this. But I talked to him for an hour on the phone the other day. He said, the Lord allowed me to look into the spirit world in the period of time that I was dead. And he said, while I was dead in the flesh, he took me into the spirit world and allowed me to see it. He said, I saw demons possessing people. I saw how... They were working on their thoughts and how even standing there, he said one man and woman in a hospital were standing face to face. It was a nurse and a man, and it was a big green-like frog thing, just like Revelation. John talked about in the book of Revelation. This frog began to come up out of the floor, and I asked the angel with me, what does that mean? And he said that de that that's a demon, and that demon is attacking his mind, getting him to think about having a sexual relationship with that woman. And said, so the more he's entertaining that thought, the bigger that demon gets. And finally, that demon disappeared right into the man's face, went right into him. He said, what happened? He said, he yielded to the demon's thoughts, and when he did, the demon entered it. Now he has a demon of lust. 
And he said, that demon will activate that man and said, first thing you know, somewhere along the line, he will begin to fall into sexual activity because that demon's in him. When you begin to see these things, he said, also the Lord revealed to me that whenever people sin sexually, special demons, Satan has to get special permission from God to send certain demonic spirits, depending on the level of their sexual promiscuity, to uh, allow a certain demons to come into the woman's womb to afflict and torment the, the child or the woman while she's carrying the baby, or even cause a miscarriage. All because of sin. Wow. It's awesome what you learn when you talk to people. Of course, I've experienced many of these things, and the Lord himself has revealed several of these things to me. So I thought from all the things that are written here, yeah, from all the things that are written here, you've got to know that when the Lord says, if you want to be blessed, you've got to walk in obedience to my word. Now then, when we come over to the New Testament, when we come over to the New Testament, does the New Testament clearly tell us as Christians we are absolutely never to be involved in any kind of sexual affair outside of marriage? Is the Scripture absolutely clear, isn't it? Paul says, Never once let sexual immorality be found among the body of Christ. Not one time. So why is it so many people in the church go out and do these crazy things? What is it that... I don't, evidently, we just don't believe the Word. I don't know whether we're not teaching it in church. I don't know what we're not doing. But there's something wrong when so many people go out in the church and are living such loose lifestyles. I mean, we read pornographic information. Uh, it, it's amazing. But yet the Word of God tells us what to do. And then we wonder when all these sickness and disease comes upon us, why me, Lord? Why did I get sick? Well, I can tell you. Somewhere along the line, you sin, and you open the door to the devil. Now, if you, how many of you in here besides me would like to walk in divine health until you get to be an old person? Hey, that's every one of us. So if we want to walk in divine health, what did the Lord say we got to do to walk in divine health? Walk in obedience to His Word. So if we don't know what His Word says, then I suggest we spend a little more time every day reading the owner's manual, don't you? So if we start reading the owner's manual, the Lord says, I hate grumblers and complainers. And He just said that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. If He hates grumblers and complainers, if you're grumbling in Monday morning when you wake up and say, Oh, God, it's Monday morning again. I've got to go to that job I hate. Hey, I suggest you stop grumbling and complaining. Start saying, telling the Lord, Lord, I'm so grateful I have this job to go to this morning. I'm going to go do the best job I can for these people, and I'm going to trust you that you're going to be my provider, and you're going to take good care of me in Jesus' name. Now, then, if you start doing it like the Lord tells you to do, life becomes good. But it says here uh, in the, this uh, uh, law number two that I'm going to talk about, sin is the gateway for the curse. The first curse upon the human race came in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. Everyone was cursed. Now, I want you to look at this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 14. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field, upon thy belly shall thy go, and dust shall thy eat all the days of thy life. 
So the serpent was cursed because he allowed the devil to come upon him and speak through him. That's why the snake still crawls on the ground today in the dust of the earth. Then the woman was cursed. And ladies, y'all are still suffering this curse. Verse 16 says, Unto the woman, he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow at your conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now see, ladies, you really messed up, didn't you? You really messed up. Your husband's supposed to rule over you. Isn't that amazing? You're supposed to be in subjection to him. And of course, since that's one of the laws of God, if you're not in subjection to your husband, and of course many women are not, and the reason they're not is because many men don't love their wives like the Lord told them to do. And I think a woman should still be in subjection to her husband and still be kind and gentle to him and pray for him and see what God's going to do. Now, if you live with this guy six months or a year or whatever, and he absolutely refuses to come to Christ, he refuses to treat you like a lady, and he continues to verbally or physically abuse you, lady, you need to leave him. You need to leave him. Don't stay with him. The Lord told us that we as Christians are to live at peace. And so a woman is not to live in a home with a man that verbally or physically abuses her. You don't have to stay there. So if something somebody says, but you know, I'm, I'm forever settled and God hates divorce. And I will agree with that. He does. But he clearly tells you in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 that he's called us to peace too. In fact, Paul clearly answers all those questions in detail about marriage and remarriage and divorce in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Yes, God's plan is one man, one woman forever. That's the plan. But that one man, one woman is supposed to be one woman of God, one man of God. Not one woman of God and one lost man she found in a beer hall. Too many women find their husbands in the wrong places. They go to the wrong places, and even when you find them sometimes, just like, I mean, I've had men and women. This is what blows me away. A man, and I, I know, I, and personally, very closely personally, I know some people like this, that a, a precious daughter of the king, she meets a guy in church. And he goes to church with him a year, two years, whatever. And he appears to be a perfectly normal guy. He'll read the Bible with her. He'll even pray with her. And then finally, they decide to get married. And he gets married. Now then, they've made a contract, according to the earth, and he thinks he's got her now, and so now then he don't have to do, he, he can take off his mask now, and he can do who he wants to be. And overnight, he becomes a different person. Now, I've seen this many times. And this is so sad that this happens like this. And then the woman is miserable. The man won't pray with her no more. He might be he might even be physically abusive to her or emotionally uh, 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 unstable in lots of ways. Now, if you live in a home like that and you meet that criteria, you need, first of all, to do some spiritual warfare praying for your husband or your mate, whichever one it is, the man or the woman. I've seen it happen both ways. Unfortunate, if you don't ask God to send you that mate in the first place. Now, this I'm going to tell you, every human being should do it the way I did it. Every human being should ask for their mate the way I did it. I come to the Lord and said, Lord, if you want me to have a mate, you bring her to me. You know, 
if you say, God, if you want me to have a, if I'm a woman, God, if you want me to have a wet mate, you bring him to me. But you bring me a man of God on fire for you. I don't want just a normal man. I want one that's on fire for you and a man that'll treat me like a lady. That's what I want. And if you're a man, say, Lord, I want a woman that's on fire for you. And I'm going to be obedient to you. I'm going to serve you. And I want this woman to be on fire for you. And I want her to love you and be your daughter. And then if you want me to get married, then you bring that person to me. And you don't have to worry about going out looking for one. Don't have to go look for one. When you ask God to do that, and I'm telling you, although Cheryl and I have only been married three weeks, three weeks, this three weeks has been a very blessed three weeks. She's been happy and I've been happy. You know, and God has just blessed our socks off in every way. But if you'd asked me two months ago, or maybe two and a half months ago, Thurman, do you think you'll ever get married? Nope. I'm never going to remarry. You heard me say that several times, didn't you, Sheriff? <laughs> yeah, Sheriff's been coming to my church for a while. Yeah, she knows what I'd say. No, and I mean, and the reason I, I wanted the people to know that because I didn't want anybody pursuing me. You know, I mean, I'm, I was humbled to think that I've had two or three ladies that were just pretty bold and come up and say, Thurman, uh, how would you like to go somewhere, you know, to eat dinner or something? I said, no, I don't go on dates. I, I'm not, uh, you know, I, do, I just don't go out. And now, something like Sharon, Sharon invited me and the entire staff to dinner after she got healed. I knew where her heart was. You know, she wanted to do something good for her ministry. She didn't invite me to dinner. She invited me and the staff to dinner. So there was a half a dozen of us. We all went over to her house, and she was so grateful after she got healed. She said, I could never have stood and cooked and fixed all this food but I feel so good now, I just want to do something for Jesus. And the best way I know how to do this is fix you all a meal and invite you all over. So I would go to something like that. But I would never go if somebody just called, I want to invite you over to my home for dinner for Sunday afternoon. No, nope, I don't go. Now, if you ask two or three of us over, I will go But when I have time. But otherwise, I was very clear from the pulpit, I was never going to be remarried. No way, no how. But... If you let God choose your mate, then it's always wonderful. And so that's why you should do it, everything. Now then, but because of this, because of what we did, the serpent was cursed, the woman was cursed, and if you don't believe it, for those women of you that are in here today that's brought a baby into the world, it, you know what the curse is all about, don't you? The pain and suffering. Now I'm going to tell you, if you know the promises of God, you can stand on those promises and you can bring that child into the world with virtually no pain. But you've got to know it. Like when my daughter, my daughter, when she brought her baby into the world, Caitlin, she came to me and said, Daddy, I am pregnant and I'm going to have a baby. I said, well, praise God. She said, Daddy, I've asked God for a healthy baby. I said, honey, is that all you asked for? Well, she said, Daddy, what should I ask for? I said, well, goodness gracious, God is a great big God, you know. Ask him for a beautiful, healthy, intelligent one at least. You know, don't cut him short. Since he's a faith God, you know, tell him what you want. Turn in your order. Well, that's the way we should be. Well, so she did. Ask the Lord. And I said, also, remember, you as a, as a woman are under the curse. So I said, you need to, as a daughter of the king now, I said, you can overcome that curse in the name of Jesus. And you can ask the Lord to let you bring this little girl into the world, this baby, with virtually no pain. So the night Caitlin was born, I was in her room until just a few minutes before she started uh, 
uh, being ready to give birth to the baby, and she had not screamed. She had, she'd you know tightened her fist up a little bit and bit her teeth a little bit, but she never cried out. She brought that baby into the world and never did cry out. But let me tell you, the little girl in the room next door, her daddy didn't know what I knew. Because that little girl, you could hear her all over the hospital. I mean, when she screamed, she screamed. Some of you ladies know what I'm talking about. You were probably that girl. You screamed because you're under a curse. But you need to know what you can do as a daughter of the king. The Lord has given you this power. Now, the man was cursed. And under Adam, he said, because you have hearkened unto the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, saying, Thou shalt not eat. It is cursed. It cursed is the ground for your sake. In sorrow shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Now see the trouble we got into when we listened to our wife. See? So you need to listen to God, because God has all the right answers. Your wife may not always have them, but you you do need to listen to her. But you need to pray and ask God is what she's saying the right thing. And if it is, then you can do the right thing. Remember. A curse causes shall not come, because Proverbs 26, 2 says so. And all these curses came in Eden, and the cause was sin. Therefore, sin is the root cause for the curse. As long as the root remains, the curse cannot be broken. You must confess sin to the Lord, and then stop sinning to be set free. Now, that's what everybody wants. I mean, there's many of you in this room today have already have come up and asked me, well, I was... I've raised a child. I've conceived my child out of wedlock, or uh, my daughter or my son has uh, moved in with somebody, and they're living with someone out of wedlock, or they've had children out of wedlock. Can I break the curse over the child? No, you cannot. You cannot break the curse over the child. The first thing you need to do is begin to pray for the parents, that the parents will get saved, or if they are saved, then they need to repent of what they've done. And maybe they got married uh, five years ago or ten years ago. Maybe they live together a year or two years or six months or whatever, but they need to claim by faith the breaking of the curse. First thing, you need to make sure they're born-again Christians. If they are born-again Christians, then these curses are still upon their life until by faith they break them. By faith you can break the curse. So if you have children or if you bore children, you can ask God to forgive you for what you've done, and then He will break the curse over you and then you can go to your son or your daughter that you might have brought into the world out of a uh, uh, holy union, and you can share with them what happened, and, and you can get them to break the curse, just like Galatians chapter 3, verse 13, 14, and 15 says, but you have to do it by faith. By faith you can break the curse. When you break the curse, after you've broken the curse, then don't forget to drive away the demon that went with it. Because if you don't drive the devil away that came with it, he's still going to be in there. When you repent of the sin, when you get the curse broken, the devil is still in your flesh. You have to drive him out. And see, before I learned these things, I didn't realize that when we break, supposedly break the curse, that if there's a demon in there, he does not go away. But I had an experience with God one day that revealed this to me. I literally... I committed a little, what I thought was a very insignificant sin. But I was just made a statement with my mouth, a word curse. I was trusting my company for my provisions instead of the Lord. And that's a sin. I mean, some people say, give me a break. That's a sin. 
Romans 14.23 says, Anything you do that's not of faith is sin. So when I trusted my company as my provider instead of the Lord, I belong to the Lord. If you're a child of God, you belong to the Lord. He is to be your provider. You are to trust Him as your, your protector, your healer, your everything. He is everything to you supposed to be. But we trust everybody but Him. We trust the doctors, just like this little lady up here. When she heard me spoke at Big Sandy, she said, I knew these things were real. I've read these things. But now I've actually seen the first man that walked in them. So she said, if it worked for him, that'll work for me. I'm claiming my healing, and I'm going to go home and throw away all my medication. Now, I'm telling you, there's a woman that just stepped into the realm of faith. When she stepped into it, she threw away those things. She repented of that unbelief. And what did you hear her, what God do for her when she threw them all away? Did you hear her say she's no longer a basket case? She's got more energy, and this old boy here now is having trouble keeping up with her. Wow, she threw away her medicine, most of the basket case. Now he's going to have to have some vitamins to keep up with her. <laughs> That's the way it's supposed to be, right, brother? Praise the Lord. But now see, when you step into the world of faith and you believe that Jesus is your protector, your healer, your savior, your everything, as soon as you start trusting him 100%, what does the king do? He does exactly what he says he will do. Now, as long as you were taking that medication, trusting the doctor to stay in health and all that stuff, God wasn't able to do nothing for you, was he? Very little. And there you were all those years with all that medication all that stuff, and when you didn't take it for a few days, your body just went kaflunk, down to nothing. But the minute you trusted Jesus and threw that stuff away and said, it's done in the name of Jesus, bam, the Holy Spirit came in and restored everything in that flesh and made it on fire. Is that right? That day. Amen. Praise the Lord. I mean, there's a woman, there's a woman that believed God, right? Wow. <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, you've got to be crazy, girl. You know it. You're crazy for Jesus, aren't you? <laughs> Amen. Whenever you trust in Jesus, I mean, the king's still here, isn't he? But he is a faith God. Until you see him begin to move, you don't understand how to make it work. But when you, all you need is just someone to confirm what you thought was true all the time. You'd studied the Word. You'd seen all those things. You thought, why do we not teach these things? They're in here. So why do we not teach them? But since the preachers are not teaching them, and I've never seen anybody walk in this, the devil said, don't you dare throw that medication away now. Because you know if you throw that medication away, you're going to be down sick and afflicted. So week in a week, you ain't going to be able to make it. And you was bleeding him, right? But all you had to have was one man that would back up. He's acted on these things. He's seen God move before. And you said, that's all I needed to hear, Lord. Amen. So you went over there and you got healed and delivered and throwed away all that medication and whoo! I'm telling you, it must be wonderful to have a woman that's on fire. You got to take vitamins to keep up with her. That's right. <laughs> Praise the Lord. You realize you are not under the curse. Now then, we cannot reverse a spiritual problem with a fleshly weapon. A curse is a spiritual problem that requires a spiritual solution. Many physical afflictions and many financial problems are due to curses. It's amazing, just like these testimonies we've heard here today, these awesome testimonies about how people have been under these curses 
and they have lived under the law, not realizing they were not living in faith, but yet whenever they stepped into the world of faith, just like my wife, uh, Cheryl, and just like uh, Sharon, and, and you, and you, and several others here, whenever you stepped into the world of faith to believe God would do what He said He would do, when you believed Him, He did what He said He would do, and you get set free. Now, the average Christian today is living under a curse, and the curse they're living under is the unbelief. The greatest sin in the church today is unbelief of the promises of God. The Word of God is full of promises. Just like this precious little daughter of the king sitting up here on the front row, whenever she had read and seen these promises, and y'all might have even talked about them over the last ten Wonder why? Wonder what God meant here. He said, it looks like it looks like He done this for us. But why are we not teaching this? Why do the pastors not talk about it? Why does the doctors of theology not talk about it? So if they're not talking about it, it must not be true. We must misunderstand what God says. Yeah. But all you need is just one man that stepped into it, and then that's all it takes, isn't it, Sharon? Just one man that steps into it, and then you got a, a second one that steps into it, and a third one that steps into it, and a fourth one that steps into it, and that's what makes life interesting. Then when you start realizing, hey, these promises are for me. I mean, I'm a daughter of the king. You know, when you begin to see yourself as a daughter of the king, you change everything about you. When you look at yourself and you say, I am a daughter of the king of the universe. I am a princess of His. And all of His promises for me are yes and amen. I'm going to get pregnant and I'm going to have a baby for my husband and there ain't no devil in hell going to cause me to have no kind of, no problem. I'm not going to never have an abortion. I ain't going to think about those things. I ain't going to have no more miscarriages. I'm going to have this baby and I'm not under the curse. I'm living under the blessings of God and I'm going to be obedient to the King and I'm going to bring forth a beautiful, healthy, intelligent baby and I ain't taking nothing else for an answer in the name of Jesus. You see where I'm coming from? So you don't never believe the devil. When the devil tries to put something on you to cause you to have a miscarriage or whatever, when the symptoms come, you realize you're fighting against a devil of hell that's trying to cause you to have a, a miscarriage or trying to attack your mind and say, go ahead and have an abortion. Say, no, devil. I serve the king of the universe. His name's Jesus. He's the God the Father is my dad, and Jesus is my brother. And I'm telling you, he defeated you on the cross 2,000 years ago, and I'm not letting you defeat me. I am going to beat you. I'm going to live to be healthy. I'm going to live healthy, and I'm going to live a long life. And I'm going to bring all the children I want to into the world, and they're all going to be beautiful and healthy and intelligent, and we're going to stomp on your head, you devil. We're going to be great men and women of God, and every child I bring in is going to be a child of the King of the universe because I'm going to pray them all in in Jesus' name. And devil, you ain't having none of them. When you realize there's two specific kingdoms on this earth, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell, and there's a war going on between the two. And we're either in this kingdom or in this kingdom. Now then, when we got saved, technically the Lord says, I delivered you from this kingdom and translated you into this kingdom. Well, why don't we stay over here? We should. But so many of us come over here and get translated and get saved, and next week or next month we're probably across the line and we're back over here in the sinful world. Back in the devil's world. 
And the devil says, oh, I'm glad you came back. I so wanted to get you anyway. Now then that you've been delivered out of mine over there, now that I've drawn you back in here, let me see what I can do to you. And he hates you with a passion. And so when he draws you back over here into sin, and he gets you to lying, stealing, cheating, committing adultery, or whatever he can, I'm telling you, he's going to kill you somehow, some way, as soon as he can. He's going to take you out. But now as long as you stay over here in this world, if you've not realized what you can do over there in that world, you need to read Psalms 91 over and over and over and over until that becomes a reality to you that if you will make the Most High God your dwelling place. And then you will learn to say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my strength. So when you stay over here in the Lord's kingdom, then the next, actually it's 16 total verses. When you read the next 14 verses out of that 16, the first two tells you to dwell in the secret place of the Most High and learn to say of the Lord, He is my strength and my refuge. When you say that, then the next 14 verses will tell you what cannot happen to you and what will take good care of you. He will send this angel to protect you. No deadly poisonous diseases. No devil of hell can get you. No sickness and disease can come near your house. And I'm telling you, I love to live over there. Amen. Don't have to worry about nothing. Don't have to worry about nothing. I mean, you can live over there in that world with Jesus and He'll take care of you. He'll send His angels, give them charge over you and protect you. And nothing can hurt you. Amen. Nothing. Just like the other day, one of the ladies in her church, in my church, down there in North Dallas, she's learned the meaning of the word sozo. The word sozo means saved, healed, made whole, delivered, and preserved. Well, she's learned what all that means since her and her husband had been coming to my church. And the other day, she had a car wreck. She ran over an embankment, and as the car is going upside down, she screamed, Lord, sozo me, preserve me. And the car rolled completely over, totally destroyed the car, broke all the glass out of the car, landed 20 foot down into a creek, up right side up on his wheels after it went completely over, and a police officer finally got the back door open. At the, it, had a, it was a, a Grand Cherokee Jeep type thing. had a back deal in it. He finally got the back open, couldn't open none of the side doors. All the glass broke, everything, top mashed in, he crawled in, got her out, drug her over the seat, helped get her out. The woman didn't have a bruise or a piece of glass on her, but the police officer dragging her out got glass and stuff all over him. And he said, I don't understand, ma'am, why not a single piece of glass will even stick to you. <laughs> but what had she screamed? Lord, sozo me, preserve me. And by doing that, by faith, what did the Lord do? He sozoed her. He preserved her. And when they came to church next Sunday... Her husband says, you know, I can just reach over and grab Sarah and pinch her a little hard and she'll have a bruise on her arm. But he said, after that car wreck, Sarah never had a bruise, no soreness, not a piece of glass, nothing in her body. Now, does it pay good dividends to learn God's Word? I think so. Because when, now, Sarah, when she screamed, Lord, preserve me, sozo me, he knew, she knew what that meant. So she cried unto her king, and he sent his angels and gave them charge over her, and he protected her. And then later, he provided, she said, well, now, Lord, we've got to have another car. We didn't have any insurance on that car. She had a bonus come in at the end of the year, only about two or three weeks later. The bonus was more than sufficient to buy her a brand new car and pay cash for it. 
Now, is God good? But you've got to call Him into remembrance of His promises. He said, Lord, you promised to be my provider. I'm not looking to my company. You're my provider, so I need another car now. The enemy tried to get me. I cried unto you. You protected me. I cried souls of me. You did. Now, Lord, I need a car. And within a matter of weeks, enough money came in through a bonus and bought her a brand new car and paid cash for it. Is, I mean, does it pay good dividends to walk in faith? It pays good dividends to walk in faith. Now then, if your car starts over and all you can think of is a word of profanity. <laughs> now, I know a few people, brothers, that do that, don't you? I mean, I've been in cars with people and I'd almost hit somebody and it's, oh, they'll flip out something, I won't say it, but they'll spit out some kind of word of profanity. Wow. Whose world are you living in? The devil's. And if the devil's words are coming out of your mouth, guess what's going to happen to you? Oh, you're going to get hurt in that car wreck. You know, I guarantee you. So you've got to learn how to talk. It's very, very important to learn how to talk if you want to see God do these wonderful things. Now then, this next law here, a curse is a spiritual problem which cannot be remedied by natural law. Galatians chapter 8, verse 7 says, Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. Think about that in a little bit of a deeper depth. Whatever a man sows, that shall he also reap. If you go through life sowing bad things, are you going to reap good things? No. If you go through life sowing good things, are you going to reap bad things? No. You're going to reap good things. God shall not be mocked. Whatever you sow, that's what you're going to reap. So if you go through life saying good things and you're saying the Word of God, great and wonderful things are going to come upon you. Now, when sickness and disease are due to a curse, no science of man will cure that person. When the tithe is withheld, there will be a curse upon one's resources and no amount of planting at all will curb the devourer. Now, I don't know how many people in the church today that want to know, Thurman, I can't believe that you worked as an engineer all those years and you, you didn't make any more money than you did as an engineer, yet you got this beautiful place, you built this beautiful building for your son, you paid cash for everything, and you don't owe nobody nothing. Well, let me tell you how I did that. I was a tither and a giver. Every penny that came in, I gave God at least 10% of everything, and over the years... He made my cars run longer. He made my washing machines run longer. He made everything work better and longer. And I was not under a curse. And I think about the people today that are going to church that are not tithing. And when I sat down with them, they said, Well, Thurman, I'm doing okay. I'm making it. Okay, but I got this bill, this bill, and this bill. Let's sit down. Okay, yeah, I owe $20,000 on this credit card, or I owe $5,000 on this credit card. What's the interest on it? Well, I don't know. It doesn't make any difference. I'm making payments. Yeah, it makes a big difference. Let's go over and look. This credit card which you owed $5,000 on is 29% interest. Well, I'm paying $150 a month. Forget it. You're getting deeper in debt every month. You ain't never going to get out of debt. But, but I, I don't tithe. Do you tithe? No, I'm not a tither. I can't afford to tithe. You can't afford not to tithe. Because if you don't tithe... You'll live all of your life. You'll be under a curse from God, and you will never get out of debt. Now, I don't know. Uh, it's, it's amazing. Cheryl couldn't believe when she came into my life. She said, Thurman, you own a home. 
you own all this stuff, you got all this land, and you don't owe nobody a penny? I said, that's right. I don't owe nobody a penny. Well, she said, gee. She said, uh, that condo that, she, her, that uh, her and her daughter had bought down there, uh, her daughter's getting married, so she's not going to be living there, or she's not even living there now. But she said, we still owe $77,000 on the, on the condo. And she said, and we bought this car, and said we bought the car, and we carried over from last year's car on that one, so now they carried an extra note over on that car, so now they owe more money on that car than they did when it was brand new. See? I said, honey, you're living under the curse. Well, she said, but I'm a tither. I said, I know, but you've only been a tither for a short period of time. You've only been tithing since you come to my church. And I said, all time before is when you got into all these things. I said, you weren't tithing then. No, I didn't know about these things. I said, that's why you got all these bills, and that's why you got things that's got 20 and 20 and 25% interest on these cards. So she said, what did we do? I said, we take the one with the greatest interest, and you pay it off, and you get rid of it. And then next month when your money comes in, and I said, I'll put money in there with you. And I said, I'll put money in, and it won't be long. I said, as, as my resources and everything that I have, and I still have some, I said, I'll take my money, and I'll mix your money, what you make. And since I don't owe anything, and we'll put it all on yours, and start out with the biggest credit cards, and we'll get them paid off. So we've already got in the, I mean, we went together for 40 days, you might say, and been married three weeks. And we've already paid off $25,000 worth of her debt. She said, I've never seen a man as good to me as you are. I said, you never had one loves you. But I love you. See, when you love somebody, you'll share your resources with them. Because money's just money. You know, now if you're making money your God, you've got a problem. You know, if you're going to save that for the last days, there may not be no last days. <laughs> You know, you need to share what you have with the one you love. Y'all know where I'm coming from? You know, you need to share what you have with each other. If you're a man and a wife, you need to love each other in everything. You need to be kind and gentle to your wife. Because the Lord says, men, love your wives, that your prayers be not hindered. So if you're not loving your wife, it's no use for you to come to the throne of grace to pray. Because God's not going to hear your prayer if you're not loving your woman. If you're not loving your woman, you can forget it. God will not hear your prayer. If you want to see Him do something, start loving your woman. And it's amazing how many people that are in the church that are totally rebellious to the Word of God, men and women that say they're Christians, that will not love their mate, like the Lord said, and then you wonder why your world is going to hell in a handbasket. You wonder why you're sick or your wife's sick or your kids are sick or all kinds of things, and it all revolves around your wickedness and your disobedience to do what God says. And he's no respecter of persons. So if you're not willing to love your woman, and woman, if you're not willing to love your husband, you two are to be the couple that God calls you to be. And you're to do what he says, and you're to walk in love. The man is to be the spiritual leader in the home. If the man will be the spiritual leader, take his wife to church and do what God says, you will see a tremendous change begin to happen in your life. But since he's in control, I'm not in control. I want things to be blessed in mine and Cheryl's home. So I'm definitely going to do what the Lord says. But I've done that for the last 40 years of my life. That's why the Lord blessed me in everything I did. That's why I was able to... 
How many of you, I know, I'm not, don't get me wrong, I'm not pulling my strings because I'm not living under a curse. But I've lived under faith for so many years. I've seen God bless me in so many ways. That's why that when my wife died three years ago, that I had all this money in stocks and bonds and, 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 and 401ks and everything else. And my wife and I had planned to do some things with that ourselves, you know, in our later years. Although we had a big, beautiful home, I built my wife a big, beautiful 5,000-square-foot home, and I paid cash for it when I built it. And it took me three years, and I never borrowed a penny to build it. And she lived in that home, and my daughter lived there. Uh, well, she right there with us uh, the last, uh, well, 10 years. My wife and daughter were there together all the time. They got to live in that home. And then after my wife and daughter were both killed in that car wreck, I got this great, big, giant, beautiful home. I have no use for this home. So two years ago when my son married, I gave him and his wife that home as a gift, free. And then I turned around and built, bought this two acres of land out here and built this building and spent about nearly $300,000 for buying the land and building the building, and I gave it to him as a free gift. Now then, the Lord says, a man will leave an inheritance to his children. He will bless his children. Now, if, you're, if you don't walk in obedience, you're under a curse and you've never been a tither and never been a giver, you'll never be able to do these kind of things. You will come to the end of your life and you will not have enough money to pay for your own funeral. Your kids will have to bury you, probably. And it'll all happen, all because you were never a tither and you didn't walk in love to your mate. Now, I don't know about you, but I want to be blessed. Since I've read the book and learned what the requirements are, if I walk in obedience to the Word, and I tithe and I go to church and do what the Lord says. He said, I will bless everything you put your hands to. He done it for me. I've learned what works. Now then it all depends on where you want to live. Do you want to live under the blessing or the curses? Well, I don't want to live under the curses, do you? No, I absolutely do not. Because in Malachi chapter 2, verse 2 says, If you will not hear and if you will not lay it to heart, to give glory unto my name, saith the Lord of hosts, I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Yes, I have cursed them already, because you did not lay it to heart. So we, when it comes to this, these curses and blessings, it doesn't make any difference what area of your life, whether it's finances, financial or physical, spiritual, or whatever it is, you've got to do it God's way. And then this number four rule here says, where sin remains, the curse remains. Now, this is when I learned this is where I learned to get people healed, I have to get them to confess their sin. I have to get them to confess their sin. If you don't confess your sin, in, in uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 13, says, If I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Think about this. However... Though repent, through repentance, new blessings will come. Listen. In verse 14, If my people, second, uh, Chronicles seven fourteen, very well-known verse, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my faith and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. He'll also heal your flesh. Whenever you repent of your sins, now, demons have inroads where sin remains. 
A curse can only end when the sin behind it is confessed and forsaken and God's forgiveness is obtained. And then after you've done that, then you drive out the devil. And that, in fact, the first time I had an experience with the devil when I was, that I was trying to cast him out and I, the demon was screaming at me, kicking at me, and fussing at me and using profanity with me and spitting on me and everything else out of the mouth of a woman, I finally said, Lord, I do not understand this. You told me I have power over devils. I said, Lord, I can't get this beast out of this woman. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, Son, the reason you can't get him out is because I sent him. I said, Lord, you sent him? He said, Yes, because she's been living in sin. Now then he says, when she repents and turns from her wicked ways, then the demon will be bound and you can kick him out. I said, oh my goodness, what a revelation. Here, I think I've got power and authority over devils and I'm trying to kick him out and this devil, this woman's driving, he's killing me. I had something wrong with this picture. So I finally told her, I said, ma'am, you're living in some kind of sin. Well, yeah, I have a hatred toward my ex-husband. I said, oh, so that's the problem. You're living in unforgiveness. I said, man, you must forgive him. She said, I can't for, never forgive that guy for what he did to me. She said, you see them two boys right there? I said, yes. She said, that first boy right there was born to me and him. And then that second one, I got pregnant with him and said, right after he was born, he left me and he ain't never come back. And he left me to provide for me and them two boys. She said, I hate that man with a passion and I will never forgive him. I said, ma'am, he's ruined your entire life up to now. I said, here you are with this sickness disease. You've already had a full hysterectomy and it's not solved your problem. And all the time, it's a demon. You're under a curse because of your unforgiveness. I said, now then, forgive him. And I, she said, I just can't. I said, yes, you can. I said, it's an act of your will. I said, you forgive him. And she said, okay. And so I led her in a prayer of repentance, and she forgave her ex-husband. When she forgave her ex-husband, I said, now, you devil of hell, you have no legal claim to her. I said, in the name of Jesus, I command you to come out and go to the pit and never return. Instantly, the woman was delivered, and instantly she was healed. It was that easy. The minute that I found out that her sin was what was giving that devil legal right to stay, when I got her to confess that sin, then it was really easy to cast out the devil. And the woman was instantly delivered and instantly healed. When the devil left, her pain in her back and everything else was completely healed. And that woman was set free. See, when you've had a few of these experiences, you learn, don't sin. Don't sin. Because you've got a curse on your life. Now then, the power of a curse is demonic. Just got a couple more of these, and then we're going to try to quit by about 10 minutes. The power of a curse is demonic. God pronounces a curse, and Satan and his demons are the instruments that carry it out to express it another way. When a curse is imposed, God lifts his restraining hand and the devil is permitted to work. That's the way it works. So if you're not sinning, God's power is there. You've made the Lord your dwelling place. The devil can't come in. He can't afflict you. He can't torment you. So it pays good dividends to walk in obedience to the Word. Now the average church member today don't know this. The average church member, if they understood these principles that I'm talking about here today, it will forever change your life. You will stop sinning. But if you have any idea what's going to happen to you when you step into the world of sin, that's just like a pastor. I spoke at Gateway Church the other day on Saturday. In fact, last Saturday. 
to a group of people just like this, about this size, but they're all uh, Sunday school teachers, elders, pastors. they got 24 pastors down there in that church. 6,000 people in that church. Awesome, beautiful church. But one of the pastors come to me at the break, at one of the breaks. We had two breaks, so I talked from 9 that morning until 2 that afternoon. But during the break, one of them come to me and he said, Thurman, I heard God's voice one time. And he said, it forever changed my life. I said, what, what happened? He said, well, my wife and I wasn't getting along too well. And see, he had not understood at this point who the devil was. So since him and his wife were having a little conflict, he, the devil, was easily able to draw him away. And he goes out and he's messing around with another woman. And he said, I'm just fixing to do something I know I'm not supposed to do. You know what he's talking about? He's just fixing to commit adultery. He's in a place with another woman he's not married to, and he, because him and his wife having trouble, he's just fixing to commit adultery with a woman. And he said, I hear this voice. And it calls his name. I'll just say Jack for the lack of using anybody's right name. He said, Jack, do you know what you're fixing to do? And he said, I turned to see who spoke to me, and there was nobody there. But I realized that was God. Do you know what you're fixing to do? And he said, I'm telling you, I got up from there. I did not do that. And I left that place. And he said, I went back and reconciled to my wife. And he said, I changed the way I do business. One word from the king can change your life forever. One word from God. Now, it's unfortunate he ought to speak to more of us more often. I don't know why he doesn't. But he may be screaming at us, but we may be so carnal we can't hear him. That may be the problem. The king may be talking to all of us in an audible voice, but we're so steeped in sin, we can't hear him. And so that's, that's sad. But anyway, <clears throat> in the interest of time, we're going to have to... It's amazing how quick the day goes by when we step into this Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 this is another way that we give place to the devil in the New Testament the Lord says in Ephesians 4 26 be ye angry and sin not let not the sun go down upon your wrath neither give place to the devil. How many people do you know that do that? There's a man the other day in my church in North Dallas got up and he got up front and said, I want to give a testimony. I said, okay. He said, you see that woman right back there? I said, yes, sir. He said, I've been married to that woman 50 years. He said, last week me and her had a real disagreement. Now that should never happen. I mean, you, you, it's okay to talk about things, but you and your woman should never have a heated disagreement. He said, I got real angry with her, and I was mad at her, and I went to bed angry, and I woke up the next morning with a tremendous pain in my back and my leg. He said, I would have never picked up on this, except I've been hearing your teaching. So he said, the next morning I woke up, I thought, whoops, I'd done something wrong. So he said, I repented, and I got right with my wife, but the pain was still there. He said, then I spoke to the devil and commanded him to take his demon off of me, and said, instantly, just like that, all the pain left. See, he had gotten angry with his bride of 50 years. 
went to bed angry, gave place to the devil. A demon came in him and was tormenting his back and his leg. When he repented to God and his wife, the demon didn't leave. But when he spoke to the demon and commanded it to leave, then he had to leave because he had no more legal right. Now, what if he had tried to speak to the demon and commanded it to leave before he repented to God and to his wife? It would, no, he wouldn't have left. He'd have said, this stuff Thurman teaches don't work. I spoke to my back and my leg and it didn't get well. No, it didn't because the curse was still there. Whenever he repented of the curse, repented of the sin, then the curse was removed. And then when he got right with his wife, everything was okay. The devil had no more legal right. And then when he spoke to the demon, it left and he got healed. Well, there are so many things under the curses and blessings, and this is by no means exhaustive. Uh, we've only in, from about, well, 1.30, I guess when we started till 5 o'clock, it's 5 o'clock. We've gone a long time here. We've covered just about one-third of this information. So we're going to call it a quits here today, and we'll start over because I know you can only set so long. And 5 o'clock is a while, and we're still going to have to pray for everybody. So you've learned enough. You've learned enough today to get an idea of what you have to do. We've covered the basic curses. We've covered the basic laws. And you must know that if you come up here and you have a need and you want to be prayed for, and all you've got to do is make sure your sin is repented of. Whatever the sin is, if the sin is repented of, you've repented to the Lord, you've confessed the sin, and then after you've done that, find a great and mighty promise of which there are many in God's Word. In fact, Matthew 18:19 is a promise you can stand on. Matthew 18:19, Jesus said, And again, I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything you ask me for, it shall be done for you by my Father which is in heaven. That's a mighty promise. Then there's another one for healing. Mark 16, 17, and 18, Jesus said, These signs shall follow those that believe. In my name you shall drive out the devil. You shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. That's another great and awesome promise. Then John 14, 13, and 14, Jesus said, Again, I tell you that anything you ask the Father in my name, he shall do it for you. So therefore, ask anything in my name, and it shall be yours. John 14, 13, and 14. And then James chapter 5, verse 14, 15, and 16, Jesus said, If any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church, which I'm an elder of the church. Let them anoint them with oil, and the prayer of faith shall save the sick. And he says, If your sickness is due to a sin, I, the Lord, will forgive your sin, and I, the Lord, will heal you. So he says, Therefore, confess your faults one to another, that you may be healed. So there's many, many, many different types of scriptures that the Lord has put in His Word that if you need to be healed, today is your day. All you've got to do is repent of your sins, come to the Lord on one of His mighty promises, always remembering that all of His promises for His children are yes and amen every time. See, some people say, well, I see those great promises, but maybe they're not yes for me. Well, if you know the Word, you'll see that 2 Corinthians chapter 1 Verse 20 says, all the promises of God are yes and amen for all of those that are in Christ. So all these promises are always yes for you. God never turns His children down. So when you repent of your sins, you want to be healed. All you got to do is repent, 
Come to the Lord on behalf of His promises and then come up here and we will pray for you or rebuke the enemy or whatever you want to do, anoint you with oil or whatever you want to do or whatever the Lord leads us to do. And He promises to heal you, doesn't He? Yeah. Or you can just do it yourself. All you got to do is just believe what I teach and go to the hotel, flush them pills and say, Lord, it's done. I got it. I'm healed. Praise God. And just get healed by yourself. Just you and Jesus. You don't even need me. And I love it when people do it like that. Especially I do it like that. Any questions? Before we stop our, today or pray for anybody, if anybody has a question, I'll be happy to entertain a question. Yes, ma'am. You had, you had a sin or a sin of unbelief or doubt in your heart. Now, when, when you do it, just like I'll give you an example. That happened to a man. I went down to the fellowship the other day for a pastor's conference. And another good friend of mine, he's an assembly of God, he went with me. And we walked up and there sat a man at the bottom of the stairs with two carpal tunnel sleeves on. And I said, sir, you got carpal tunnel? He said, yes, I do. And I said, are you a Christian? He said, yes, I am. I said, you know you don't have to have that. He said, well, I, no, I didn't know that. I said, well, Jesus has already bore that. He's given us power and authority over it. I said, do you have all your sins confessed? He said, yes. I said, well, I'll drive him out then. So I walked up and started to lay my hands on him. And the man that was with me, Don, he said, Thurman, can I lay hands on him with you? I said, are you ready? Well, I think so. I said, no, 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 you got to know so. He said, okay, I'm, I'm ready. Now, see, there was doubt. I reached up and laid my hands on that man commanded that corporal tunnel demon to leave and he was instantly healed. Both tunnels were open on both sides. The men could make a tight fist and he was just awestruck. I told him, take the sleeves off. You don't need them no more. And he did and he was healed. Well, we went to the conference. was there all afternoon. That night about 1 o'clock, Don woke up and when he woke up in the middle of the night, both wrists were just killing him. And by 1.30, he was in severe pain. And then he said, Lord, I sinned. I doubted. He said, Lord, I repent of my sin of unbelief. He said, you devil of hell, come out of me and go to the pit. And instantly the devil left him, never had any more pain. That's how it works. So you've got to make sure that you know what you're doing. Because when the demon comes out of one person, he's going to go into the next weakest person. And that demon, might you might cast him out and he come right into you just like he did. And then you had to have a man of God that had greater faith than you did to drive him out. Now, you want to live in total faith. Well, that's just like one time in a meeting, a man that I know of was going to... Ca a, a woman couldn't hear. And he reached up and put his hand on her ear and, and rebuked the devil, commanding him to leave. And instantly the woman said, I can hear. Well, it was in a matter of 15 seconds. The woman sitting right here, she said, I can't hear. And so he brought her up here and he laid hands on her and commanded the demon leave and she could hear. And all of a sudden, right back there in the back, another woman says, I can't hear. So the demon went from here to there to there. And then he says, in, when he cast him out that lady, he said, now get out of this building and don't come back in the name of Jesus. And so he left and it didn't come back no more. But that tells you that demons have so much legal right to so many of us because of sin. They can virtually stop anywhere they want to. Yes, sir. I do. Well, I believe that with all my heart. 
I have no precedent in the Word to back that up with. Jesus never did that. But I do that. I, I have a real problem. And I don't understand a lot of things, but I have a problem believing that God would want me just to cast a demon out and leave him here to do some more damage to somebody else. And so I try, I try, when I cast them out, I command them to go to the pit. But at least when I cast them out of someone, I've learned to say, and may you never return to this person. At least I do that. So if they do go out there, go to the pit, or, and they may not. They may not have to. Because Jesus, when they come to him, when they ask it, have you come to torment us before our time? So I don't know for sure, you know, where they go when I drive them out. But I, I go ahead and put them, command them to go to the pit because if by faith I can do that, I would love to see them go and be bound in that pit. Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah, go, go ahead. Sir. Well, I was praying for this boy one time and prayed for Eric for about an hour and a half. And that demon was speaking through him. Oh, yeah. And he said he had no place to go. The demon had no place to go? And he said, I've got no place to go. Well, but still, if that demon, if the power over that boy, the, the curse has been broken, he just has to go out somewhere. And see, that's the main thing. They don't want to leave because just like when Jesus cast them out of the men in Gadara, they didn't want to leave either. And there were so many of them. And finally, they requested to go into the hogs. And so he said, okay. Now, of course, I've cast demons out of animals too. You know, many times I've cast demons out of animals. I've seen demons. I've seen dogs like, I mean, I've seen dogs that chew the furniture in your house that you couldn't house break, you know, that just mess on everything or wet on something or whatever. And people spank them and do everything. Nothing else. I said, it's a demon. I said, we just cast a demon out. And you cast a demon out and it totally changes the animal. I mean, I've seen cats that will claw you that you can't touch. You, everything. I've cast a demon out and they become a normal animal. You know, I mean, I've seen animals, big ones, cows, bulls, that will be my, wild or mean. You cast a demon out of them, they become normal. Yeah, yes, ma'am. Is he still alive? Yes. Uh-huh. Well, if he's still alive, he's the spiritual leader in your house. And he needs to repent. In fact, there's nobody in your home has greater authority than that man. And if you really want to see God do some wonderful things, you, that man needs to learn that God's going to hold him accountable to be the spiritual leader in his home. And you'll never see any real power in that home as long as he walks in disobedience to the Word of God. Yeah, it just, it's just not going to happen. In fact, I've seen a lot of women sick and afflicted because their husbands, you know, have been disobedient. I've seen the devil beat up on them. And, of course, I had one case one time where a man had married a woman. She was not a spiritual woman at all. And she got him out of church. Now, he'd been a, he'd been a youth leader, a music director, a Sunday school teacher, everything, for years. And then he married this woman. This was the third marriage he'd been in, but he was about... 45, I guess, somewhere along there when he married this woman. And she didn't believe in going to church. So he listened to her and stopped going to church. Well, 10 years later, he's on his deathbed. And I tried everything in the world to get this man healed. He had been one of my best friends. And I tried everything. And I, in fact, I took a day off and went and spent a whole day with him after he had been operated on for brain tumors on Monday. And he died on Thursday. And after we buried him on Sunday on the way back, I said, Lord, I do not understand why I could not get this man healed. I said, Lord, I did everything you've showed me. I said, do I have a sin in my life, something I've done? 
And I asked the Lord that for nearly two and a half to three hours before he answered me. Finally, he answered. He said, no, son, the problem was not yours. He said, the problem was his. In fact, he said, the answer to your question is in John 15, 2. And so I turned to John 15, 2, and it says, I am the vine, and you are the branches. And every branch in me that produces no fruit, he said, I cut it off. And I said, Lord, I said, he was a good guy. He was a Sunday school teacher, the deacon. I mean, I mean the, the music leader. I said, why did you take him out? She's the one. He said, son, I didn't make her the spiritual leader of the home. I made him the spiritual leader of the home. And since he was disobedient and listened to her, he said, I took him out. That's scary, you know it? I mean, very scary. I've had a lot of tremendous encounters with the Lord. And he's spoken to me and showed me a lot of things. Well, since I've learned what I've learned, let me tell you, any man and woman that's married, it, I mean, one thing it will do, should do for you, it should make you much more aware of who you marry. You know, if you're going to get married, you better make sure that mate's going to be a full-blown, full-fledged Christian that's willing to serve God. I mean, and if you're already married and you're in church and you're both not serving the Lord, it ought to make you aware of, hey, do we want to live a long time? Do we want to have a good life? Do we want our children to be blessed? Then that means I've got to do this and I've got to serve God. And if you don't, I mean, he's no respecter of persons. It will open the door to the demonic world. Yes, ma'am. Uh, that, uh, that one scripture where it says you can put him in the abyss is Revelation chapter uh, 20, verse 3, where you can put him in the abyss. Oh, oh okay. So, um, so I send him to the abyss because I don't want him to go in there and I don't believe that. No, I definitely don't either, yeah. So, but I do that all the time. Yes, ma'am. Father thought she was going to die. Her husband, yes, the husband thought the wife was going to die. And did she die? Yes. Okay. Now was she a Christian? Oh, a saint. Okay. Well, she was. She she doubt she went home to be with the Lord. Yes. Yeah. But uh, yeah. But see, the the church they don't have faith. Now, and but, she did what uh, James five sixteen uh, had at elders, and that was a Baptist church. Yeah. Well, she was filled believed. She was a faith woman. Yeah. Yeah. But no no offense to the Baptist church. Uh-huh. But I have never seen, never in my life, ever seen a group of people in a Baptist church that knew how to pray James 5, 14, 15, and 16. You know what they always say? If it be your will, God. If it be your will. And there's absolutely no faith in that prayer. I always said, a man, I said, no, that it is the will of God. But now see, but see, it says the prayer of faith shall save the sick. Not the prayer of unbelief. See, now the prayer of faith will save the sick. And see, that's the difference. When you pray the prayer of faith for someone, the, and of course when you read on down verse 16, it says, The effectual, fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. Not some weak prayer. Effectual, fervent. A righteous man, somebody says, Well, I'm not righteous. And then they ain't no use in you praying that prayer. 
If you don't know you've been made the righteousness of God in Christ, you're not walking in obedience to the Word. Forget it. Sure. If I had been there, I wouldn't have let them play that, pray that way. They'd have prayed the word and the word only. Yeah, but the thing about it is, though, they have to be in faith believing that. You know, you can tell them all you want to, but it's not going to change where their faith is until they believe it. When they believe it, they can say what you think is the right thing, but it's still going to produce no fruit until it's in their heart. It's always His will to heal. Yeah, yeah. Oh. But he, he, yeah, he said, he said, if you will be obedient and serve me, I will satisfy you with long life. So when are you going to be satisfied? When? I mean, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 21, he says, all things are yours. Life and death is yours. All things are yours. As children of the king, if all things are ours, including life and death, when are you going to be satisfied? You see where I'm coming from? So it depends on what you say. In fact, if you really want to get wild with this thing, you go over to John 8 and John 11. If you can read what the, they said, this is a hard teaching. No man can receive this. Jesus said, i tell you the truth. If you do everything I tell you, you shall never die. If you do everything I tell you, you shall never see death. Huh? Sure. Be translated. So you live and you serve and you walk in obedience to the Word. You do everything God says and you walk in divine health until you're ready to go home. How long is that going to be? I mean, when I taught a little bit on those scriptures in John here a while back to a group in a healing school and I had four or five of the people, men and women, come up and just, they said, i got to have more. I never heard this taught in my That's what the Word says. I said, well, I thought I'd step off. I thought I'd test the waters to see what some of y'all would say. I said, I have so much trouble believing, getting people to believe just how to be healed, much less to live in divine health and then to walk and never think about dying. Forget it. The church, I mean, I can't hardly develop their faith to get healed. I sure have trouble teaching them that they don't have to never get sick. In fact, some of the doctors of theology recently, when I spoke at Big Sandy, some of the doctors of theology said, this Scrivener guy, he says that you don't never have to be sick. That's not true. I mean, they run me down every way in the world. I said, hey, the first 45 years of my life, I believe what they believe. And I lived in sickness and disease under the law. The last 20 years, I believe what God says, and I've lived in divine health. And I can do anything any 35-year-old can do today. Can you imagine? I mean, at my age, I run around these beams and built this building and all this stuff and climbed around on this thing like a teenager. And I can do anything I want to do. I have no limitations. My only limitation is right there. Ah, I'm old. No, I'm young. I'm on fire. I can do anything I want to do. I can stay up all night if I want to. You know, I can do whatever I want to do. I mean, I can get... I mean, you got to imagine. I mean, last night. I mean, I had to... I don't know. I might have had three or four or five hours sleep last night. You know, I mean, I did go to bed last night at one thirty or whatever it was. And, and I rushed Cheryl and her daughter. They sing till 1 o'clock. And then she went by the grocery store and bought a bunch of stuff, and she didn't get home till 3.30 this morning. She got home this morning at 3.30, and of course, when she called in bed, she woke me up. You know, we lay there and talked a little while and did things that normal married people do and had a great time for an hour or two, and then we went to bed. And, and we get up this morning at 9.30. Now, can you do that? Can you do that? You, you can if you believe God. 
You can do anything you want to do. You know, if, if God has given you by faith the ability to do anything you want to do. So, if you think that when you get to be 40 or 50 or 60 years old, you can't do those things no more, then guess what? You have limited yourself. Well, yeah, I believe what the doctors of theology taught the first 45 years. And in the last 20 years, I started believing what the Word says. And when I started believing what the Word says, I don't get sick no more. I walk in divine health. I have no problems. I can go, go do anything I want to do in the name of Jesus. And you'll be amazed. What does it include, honey, if Jesus said, you can have anything you say with your mouth, if you can believe it with your heart? What kind of limitations did the king give you and me? None. None. As our God, he gave us no limitations. Can you imagine, just like out there on the Sea of Galilee, when the storm is tearing up everything, and they said, Lord, get up. Don't you care that we perish in this storm? He wakes up and says, Peace be still. And immediately the storm's gone, and this water's calm, and he looks them right in the eye, and he says, Where's your faith? Why didn't you speak to it? And they say, well, what kind of a man is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? What he's trying to tell us is, this is the dominion I've given you over the earth as my children. You have no fear. I've given this to you. Control it. Subdue it. Take care of your body. Do what I tell you and learn how to talk and you'll be able to control your whole body. But see, we don't believe that. You see where I'm coming from. But it's all in the Word. Very well, clearly laid out. So we limit ourselves on this earth because we've listened to the world and the way they do things. Oh, when you get to be 60, you know you're going to spend X number of time in a nursing home. You may, but I ain't going to. I ain't going to. I'm going to be strong and I'm going to walk in obedience to the Word and I'm going to let Him translate me out just like He did Enoch. You see where I'm coming from? That's what I'm going to do. Yes, ma'am. Well, is he a Christian? Well, if he's a Christian, he's disobedient. Then you, all you can do is pray for him because you're supposed to be submissive to him. If he's a Christian, you can tell him, honey, the Word of God says we're supposed to tithe. And if he does not and not willing to, then all you can do is pray for him. Say, Lord, I've done my part. I'm your daughter. I'm his husband, his wife. And I ask you to move on the heart of my husband and ask you to move by the power of the Holy Spirit to convict him of what he's doing is wrong. But it's not my job to nag him. It's not my job. He's the spiritual leader, not me. And I'm supposed to be submissive to him. So, Lord, I'm going to ask you to move on the heart of my husband to convict him that we need to become tithers in our family so we can be blessed. And if you'll pray those prayers to the Lord and not harp on him, then God can change his heart. But you can't. Yeah, you can't do it. So, that's what. Any other question? Yes, oh, back. Uh oh. Okay, ma'am. Have a what? Oh, okay, great. Hey, praise the King. Now, you, you know what the Lord, just like I told you that day when you come to me and you asked me that, I asked you, do you want to be free? And you said, yes, but I have not been able to do this. I told you that Joel 2.32 clearly says, 
anyone that comes to the Lord for deliverance, if you want to be delivered, He will deliver you. And we rebuked that devil, and he left, didn't he? Yes, yes. Amen. Praise the King. What an awesome God we serve. Amen. Now, now I have a problem. Okay. As I have a little two of a dog. Okay. That she has got a spirit, a spirit, and has so bad with the rain and the thunder. Oh, okay. And my sister and I have watched it. So when you're teaching kids, and, and you, where you, you talk to that spirit in your cat. Sure. Your granddaughter's cat. Mm-hmm. So my sister and I, it was raining and thundering, and so we got my little two over down, we anoint her. I do this all the time. I anoint her. I pray over her, and I give God back his word, and says that anyone will give back Matthew 18, 19. If we come together and we ask him, and he has got to do that, and I tell I said, and Lord, Thurman said that he can do this for his cat. Well, now we're going to do it for this little dog. Okay, now here's what, what, instead of saying, Lord Thurman says, you said, oh, okay, you you should say, Father Jesus said in Mark 16, 17, and 18, that we can drive out devils. Okay, well then you needed to do it in faith. Then when you drive out that devil, you need to say, devil, you got to leave and there's no questions asked, you're out of here. And I'm not trying this. I'm doing this because it's written in the Word of God. Thank you, Lord. If you say, I'm trying it, and if you say, I'm trying it, it never works. It's just like a demon one time. A man came down an aisle. He could walk just about like this. He'd come down like this, and he had a spirit of some kind of arthritis in his back. And the preacher that was up there standing there, when the man got there, the Lord revealed and said he has a demon. And so this man reached up, laid hands on him, commanded the demon to leave. Now he says, Brother... See if you can bend over and touch your toes. Now, see, he didn't expound on this. And now, brother, see if you can bend over and touch your toes. Well, he was solid. He, and, and he did it three times. And he absolutely could not, you know, that demon did not leave. And the man started to walk back. And that preacher, well, I just pray for somebody else. And he turned and he said, there stood Jesus right there on the platform. So Jesus had my, his finger right in my face. He said, I said he would leave in my name. And he said, Lord, now this is a one-sided conversation. There's a live mic on, but nobody can see or hear what the king's saying, but the pastor. He said, but Lord, I told him to leave, and he didn't leave. He said, I said in my name, he has to leave. He said, Lord, I commanded him three times, and he didn't leave. And he said, that third time God looked at me, Jesus looked at me, he said, I literally know what they felt like in the temple, because he said, I saw fire come out of his eyes. He looked at me and said, I said in my name, he will leave. And so he said, okay, I realize what I've done wrong. He called that guy back. He was nearly at the back of the church. The guy comes scooting back up there. He said, I put my hands on him. And I said, you devil of hell, come out of him in the name of Jesus. Now, brother, bend over and touch your toes. And he said, the guy bent over as living as a wreck. <laughs> only thing he did, took that word if out. That's the only thing he had. That little bit of doubt. See, this is a faith kingdom we live in. And that little bit of doubt will give that devil legal right to stay there. Yes, ma'am. Like the tension it draws, and mm-hmm. goes, oh, how are you, Sister Will, and this, and da, da, da. 
how do I go back? Because I'm going to go back home. And I really feel the heaviness, you know, because sometimes I say, Mother, by Satan, because I've been calling it time at you. And she'll say, oh, but now, okay, not God doesn't yell everybody. And remember Job, and I just want to, eh, how do I deal? I think sometimes it's, a, it's an attention drug. Oh, yeah. yeah. How do I think it's faster? Well, faith, <laughs> faith, comes, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And at 77 years old, with a woman with that many problems, it's going to be very difficult to break through. Yeah. And we can do that. We can do that. Keep praying for her, keep building her faith, 
but you know, at 77 and she's never believed that God heals everybody every time, you got your work cut out for you, girl. The what? Oh, sure, yeah, you can get that little fellow delivered. All you got to do is do it God's way, and you can get that little guy delivered, no problem. But you do everything by faith. Just like the, just like the day that I cast that demon out of that cat, my, my daughter's cat, that cat was out of one of five kittens, and only one of them had that problem. And that one cat was just, I mean, she was wild. She wouldn't let nobody touch her or nothing. I mean, my daughter even couldn't pick her up. She'd just scratch her and everything. And so when I finally realized what it was, that day she was standing out there on that feeder, and I walked around the corner, and boy, she just bristled up, you know, <laughs> you know how cats are, and her hair all stood up on her body and everything. Well, I just looked right at her, and her name was Tylene. I said, Tylene, I know exactly what's wrong with you. I said, in the name of Jesus, you devil of hell, I command you to come out of her, and don't you ever enter her again in Jesus' name. And instantly that cat settled down, became a normal cat. That afternoon after school, my daughter came in, that little cat went running out there and jumped up in her arms. She come running out. I said, Daddy, what happened to Tylene? I said, she had a change of heart. <laughs> I mean, you just, you just don't tell an eight or ten-year-old girl you cast a demon out of her cat. Because it, most, you don't tell that mostly to a 30 or 40 or 50-year-old Baptist either. Because most of them don't understand it. Most of them you don't even tell a doctor of theology because they don't understand it either. Yes, ma'am. No, now sometimes it's okay if you want to, but sometimes I've seen people have 20, 30, 40, 50 demons. It's a controlling demon, but here's the secret that I've learned. Number one, you make sure the sins are confessed. Mm -hmm. They gave them legal right to be there. If that sin is confessed and then you come to God, you know, he's the deliverer and the healer and everything else. We just get to be a spokesperson for him. So when you make sure your sins are confessed, it makes no matter what that demon is. Yeah, as long as you've got the sins confessed and you've repented of and you want to be free, then a man or woman of God can command that demon. Even you can do it yourself if you have the faith to command it to leave. And he has to leave. But now as long as that sin remains, that curse remains, and you can't drive that beast out. Now you might get forceful with him or somebody, a powerful minister, might get forceful with him and then may drive him out. But he may be back in tomorrow. Yeah. Now, that's the secret. So if he has legal right to be there, he will come back, I can assure you. But if the sins are confessed, just like that lady back there, you know, you cast out the devil and get him healed. Confess to God or confess to... The Father in Jesus' name. Well, it depends on what it is. You know, if you have a sin of unbelief, you just confess to the Lord. If you have an unforgiveness towards someone, you need to confess to the Lord and go get right with that person. Yeah, yeah. if you've got an unforgiving toward a person, you need to walk in love. You know, we're supposed to walk in love to all people. All people, not just some, but everyone. Any other questions? Okay. Okay, I've walked in bondage for about 30-something years. I never went to the doctor or anything. My husband died three years ago. And um, my children started about just turmoil and, and strife and everything. And about a year ago, I just lost my sight. Hmm. And the doctors say I'm blind. And I can I can barely see. But I have been in the Word. I have I have confessed everything, known or unknown. And I have uh, um, 
I, I keep continually, I would say, six or eight hours in the Word. I mean, I listen to the Word and confess in the Word. I've commanded the enemy to leave me. And uh, and right now, all during this time, I've had uh, just a spirit of um, anxiety and fear over me the whole time you've been talking. It's just like fear and anxiety. Mm-hmm. And I deal with that during the day. And, but then it returns, and um, I, I know God has not given me the spirit of fear. I quote all those scriptures. I believe in my heart uh, what God's Word says, but I believe that I have it, it's a stronghold mm-hmm. of uh, this fear and anxiety, and uh, I've let go. All I know to let go of, I, I can't control my children they have to do their own you know I don't know do you have any insight I do know that I have a spirit of anxiety and and fear over me and I have confessed I have done everything I know to do and um do you have any insight only thing I know to do is just rebuke the enemy and pray for prayer of faith for you I just felt like maybe some stronger than me could deliver me from it. Let's pray for you. Father, in the name of Jesus, this woman's got all of her sins confessed. You told us to drive out the evil spirit that causes blindness. And Lord, I ask you to be merciful to her and restore her sight. Make it completely well because you're still the same sight restorer that you were when you were here 2,000 years ago. And you opened the eyes of many blind people then and you're still doing the same thing today. So, Father, in Jesus' name, also you said in John 14, 13, 14, anything I ask you, Father, in Jesus' name, you will do. So I ask you to completely restore her sight and make her be able to see clear and sharp in the name of Jesus. Lord, thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, let's command that spirit. Father, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke every spirit of anxiety and fear. Every foul spirit of hell, I rebuke you. Uh, this woman wants to be free from these, Lord, and you promised to deliver us if we just ask you. So, Father, in Jesus' name, all these foul spirits of evil, anger, unbelief, and everything, fear, I command every spirit to leave her and go to the pit and never return. In Jesus' name. Now, Lord, I ask you to fill her with a spirit of love, joy, and peace and make her completely whole. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise the Lord. Now, you just believe God. That's all I can say. You have a question, ma'am? No, I just want to experience that we had. Uh, we had a retreat at our church and some women went. The speaker came. She flew an airplane and she sat next to this man. <clears throat> and she asked him why he didn't eat. Are you fasting or whatever? And he said, yes. He says, I'm from the church of Satan. And I am. I'm fasting that 300 families end up in divorce. Okay, that's what he was doing. Hmm. We ended up in a hospital waiting room. And there was a lady sitting, you know, maybe like where that man is away from us. And I tried to talk her, she wouldn't talk. And she's all the while just doing something. And uh, <clears throat> I truly feel that uh, she was praying evil knocks over everybody in there. She got up. There was a Christian girl came in. We were talking back and forth. She walked between us and went over and she got some water. And then she came back and uh, tried to give us some money. All right. And uh, my husband was sitting there, he's over his hand and he took it. Well, then I felt that this was some kind of curse or agreement or something like that. And I never would have thought about it in my life. 
if I, you know, because I didn't know what she was praying, but then she got up and just walked out and walked off. She was there basically for no reason. And I just wondered if you'd heard anything like that. My, my sister said she'd heard something about the demonic with the money oh, yeah. and whatever, and I just, I, you know, reduced the curse and all that money, and I gave it to a little candy striper girl or talking to her. You know, we get up <coughs> every day, we don't know what's coming against us. That's right. And we need to what, quote Psalm 91 because yeah. don't know what anybody's done. If you walk holy before God, the devil can't touch you. Can't. He, now, he cannot touch you. If you walk in obedience to the Word, walk in no sin, walk in total faith, it doesn't matter what the devil does, he cannot touch you. So the Lord promised that in Psalms 91. He promised that. So he said, even a thousand shall fall at your right hand and ten thousand at your left hand, yet it shall not come near you. So you've got to walk in obedience. If you make him the most high God your dwelling place, in fact, somebody made a statement the other day when I was down there in North Dallas praying for someone. Somebody dropped a box and it just hit the floor and it just crashed. And the woman I was praying for liked to have a runaway. And I never moved. And after I finished praying for her, she said, how can you be so solid? I said, ma'am, I don't live in any kind of fear. I live in total faith. Well, she said, that box scared me. I said, ma'am, if a nuclear bomb had went off in downtown Dallas, I would still be standing here. I said, there may not be anybody around me, but I would be standing here. I said, now the thing about it is, if the Lord took the faith of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and those boys said, we will not serve your God, we will serve our God, and our God is well able, and he will deliver us through that fire furnace, they had no doubt in their heart that he would deliver them through that fire furnace. And if they can step into that fiery furnace, and because of their faith, Jesus shows up. If you have faith, Somebody can set a nuclear bomb off in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and if you have faith, you're still going to be standing whenever it goes away. So by faith, nothing's impossible. But Jesus clear, clearly said in Matthew 17:20, If you have faith and doubt not, nothing shall be impossible with you. That's no limitation, folks, in the church. We in the church have allowed the enemy to beat up on us far too long. Whereas when we're praying and asking God to do something... He's already done it. He's given us all power and authority over the enemy. He's given us every spiritual blessing. Every one of them is ours. In other words, everything that belongs to Jesus belongs to you and me. Everything. That's what Jesus could say. Truly, I tell you, not only can you do what I've been doing, but greater things than these that I've done shall you do in my name. So here we're out there begging and pleading for God to heal us and do all these things. And he said, all you really need to do is rebuke the devil and thank me for my promises. And just like the lady over there on the back that was delivered from the nicotine. I mean, I don't know how many people prayed for her. She said many, but all we did was make sure that she wanted to be free and then rebuked the enemy and praised the Lord for delivering her and quoted us first in Joel 2.32. I've seen many people heal with Joel 2.32 that was under some kind of oppression from the devil. Uh, the drugs, alcohol, nicotine... Joel 2.32. See, you come to God with a promise in His Word. And when you call Him in remembrance of His promise, He does what He says He will do. Yes, sir? Okay. Does God seem to lead me in everything He's praying for me? And I've got a lot of hurting people in my church. I know. And I'm trying to lead Him into believing. But I believe that prayer in James is a prayer that the elders of the church believe for that sick person. He wasn't able to believe. That's right, yeah. And I also believe in the anointing of the transfer of the gift. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I know that faith is a gift of God. And by faith, yeah, I know it says you get faith by, by reading the Word of God. No, it says hearing the Word. Hearing, yeah. That means receiving it in your heart. Yeah, yeah, hearing it, yeah. I also believe that sometimes he does that through the Yeah, oh, yeah. And that's why I think tonight, so I'd ask you to pray over me that I could become that man of faith of God. I'll be here. my people that they can see the power of God manifested. So that's how faith comes a lot of times. I said, you were cleansed, I was cleansed. I said, in God's sight, there's no difference. 
And so, see, we look at ourselves wrong. And, of course, technically, this thing of grace and law is a difficult thing for people to walk in because when you realize that, just like Paul taught, I'm now under grace. I'm walking in obedience to the Word. I'm not under the law. The law has no bounds. To, Jesus nailed the law to the cross, and He took Satan's legal claim to accuse me of sin away because as long as I walk in obedience to the Word, I walk in faith. And when I walk in faith, the devil can't touch me. But the church is living under the law. That's what's so bad. You know, we, we, just, we don't know what faith is. I, I didn't. And so when you get that in you, I mean, when you get that in you and you realize that many sick people and hurting people in your church, if you'll start preaching from the pulpit, just preach on James 5, 14, 15, and 16. It, it's very difficult to mess up those scriptures. Is any sick among you? Now, folks, this is the Word of God. This is what my Bible says. I'm just going to tell you that there's a lot of people in our church that are sick. And I'm going to tell you, we don't have to be sick for the simple reason Jesus, through the Apostle James, made a statement to the church. Is any sick among you? Any sick among you. That includes any of us that the devil's beat up on. Any sick among us, let that person call for the elders of the church and let them pray over them in the prayer of faith. Now, guys, as elders, you've got a requirement. Number one, you've got to believe this book. You can't come up here and say, now, if it be God's will, you can't be living in some kind of sin. Now, if, and, of course, you offend a lot of people when you tell them you don't want a man that's a deacon or an elder up there praying for somebody if he's a member of anything other than the church. If he belongs to some lodges or organizations or whatever, you don't want him up there. I'm not going to let you pray for these people because I want you to be only a member of the church. And they said, well, gee, you're narrow-minded. Say, okay, I may be narrow-minded, but I want you to be a member of the church and I want you to be in faith. I don't want you to be a member of anything else. God says we're supposed to make Him the Most High God our dwelling place. We're not supposed to be out there members of anything. I don't care what it is. You don't want them. You want men that'll believe. And when you guys come up here to pray, if you're elders or deacons in my church, if you don't believe what this verse says, then I don't want you to come. Because the only place Jesus could do no healing was went back in his own hometown when their unbelief there, he himself could do no mighty works. And if he couldn't do it there, he can't do it here because we've got to believe him. So now if we believe him and the Bible says this is what it says, and this, I mean, I realize that people are not at first was just like this Baptist preacher. And you may know him. I don't know, but I won't call his name. But he went to God, he was a Baptist preacher, and he said, Lord, I am sick and tired of seeing no power in the church. He said, now, I read this book, this book's completely full of power. He said, so you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You're not doing nothing in my church. It's got to be me. It can't be you. So he said, Lord, what have I done wrong? He said, I want to see something powerful. I want to see people raised from the dead. I want to see people healed. And the Lord spoke to him. He said, oh, you do? He said, yes. He said, well, then preach it. Preach it. He said, you mean preach healing? He said, well, you said you want to see people heal. Preach, I'm a healer, and I'll heal them. He said, you also said you want to see somebody raised from the dead. He said, preach that I'm the one that raises from the dead, too. So, boy, I mean, you know, that next Sunday, I mean, he's got his message planned. He's fired up. He's talking about Jesus as the healer and how he can raise the dead and all kinds. Man, he said, I preached an hour that day. I was not a normal Baptist message. He said, after that hour, he said, man, I thought, man, Lord, I, I preached it today. Monday morning, he got put to the test. Monday morning, Brother John, a member of his church, had a heart attack and died. He's over to the hospital. His wife called, says, Pastor, Pastor Jack, I need you to come over to the hospital. 
She said, what's wrong? She said, John had a heart attack this morning and he's dead. He said, well, what do you want me to do? She said, I want you to come over here and raise him from the dead. Oh, my goodness. I mean, he preached it one Sunday. And already he's put to the death. He said, I start praying right then. Oh, God, God, if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. He said, I get over and walk in the hospital. And, and, and John had small kids, you know. He said, one of them comes from, hey, there's Pastor Jack. He come to pray for my daddy. He, Jesus is going to raise him from the dead. He said, son, don't say that so loud. <laughs> I mean, you can understand, right? I mean, you talk about being in trouble. we got to realize, it's not me and you doing it. It's the king doing it. And so he was in torment. He said, I walk into that room, and there lays John, and said, he is cold dead. He said, he said the doctor is sitting there saying, they won't let me do nothing till it, to him till you come. He said, that doc, is he dead? He said, yes, about two hours dead. Two hours dead. He said, I reached over, look at him there, said, he, I mean, he said, he is awful. He's dead. And he said, I get down on my knees and I'm crawling up there to him. And I said, oh, God, Lord, you can only understand the pain in his heart. He said, Lord, if you don't show up, I'm in trouble. Well, let me tell you, if Jesus don't show up, we're all in trouble. It don't make it whether it's salvation, healing, or whatever. But Jack crawls up there on his knees and he lays his hands on that body. And he says, death, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. He said, Father, in Jesus' name, put his spirit back in him. And somebody screamed. And he said, when they screamed, I opened my eyes, and John was blinking his eyes. <laughs> the Lord raised him from the dead. But that pastor, in fact, I'll, I will tell you, the day, I've only seen one man raised from the dead, and he was a church of Christ, and I tried my best to get this man to believe the promises of God. He worked for me for 20 years and he just would not believe. I, he could go for a surgery. His wife go for a surgery. I could give him a handful of scriptures. He said he believed the book, but he didn't. And he just would not believe these things. And so finally, after he worked for me for 20 years, one night, it was about, I don't know, 2 o'clock in the morning, my phone rang and my wife answered it and she said, honey, it's for you. And I took it and he said, this is so-and-so. said, Thurman, Bo had a massive heart attack tonight and we lost, and this guy was a paramedic, his son-in-law was a paramedic. He said, Dorothy, called me, and I come over here and said, we've shock-treated him, we've done everything, so we've not had a heartbeat or a pulse in about 20, 30 minutes. He said, we've lost him, he's dead. I said, let's pray. He said, Thurman, it's too late to pray. I said, it's never too late to pray. I said, he said, well, then, he said, I don't have no faith to pray. So I said, spirit of death, I rebuke you, and I command you to leave, Bo Jackson, in the name of Jesus. I said, the Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you to put his spirit back in him. And instantly he said, my gosh, Thurman, I've got a heartbeat. He's breathing. He said, I'm going to take him to Irving to the hospital. So he lived over in Colleyville. So he throwed him in the ambulance and they took him on to the hospital. And I got up and went over there. And I guess it was 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning before I got there. And I walked into the hospital and I said, how's Bo Jackson? And oh, Thank you. And he said, well, he would have been better off if he had died. I said, why is that? He said, well, he hasn't had a, he didn't have a heartbeat or a pulse for 20 or 30 minutes. And so he said, that long without any oxygen to his brain. 
said, he'll be a vegetable. See, we think like men. And I said, sir, I said, you see those hands? He said, yes. I said, Jesus told me to lay those hands on the sick and they'd recover. He didn't say he would be a vegetable. So I just went in and touched him. And I said, be healed, Bo, in the name of Jesus. And that's all I did. And I sat and talked with him there a little while. And I left. And within two or three weeks, he was fully recovered. He worked for me two or three more years and then retired. And he's living down in Granbury right now in a retirement home. But see, what can we do? By faith, nothing's impossible. It's just, are you willing to preach it from the pulpit? Anything you're willing to preach, he'll provide for you. He'll honor whatever you teach that comes out of that book. If you're not willing to preach it, then he won't show up for you. If you don't preach, he's the Savior. He won't save nobody. That's why so few get saved in the Catholic Church. Well, why do so many people get saved in the Baptist Church? Because, man, we can get a... We can just get a pull-down 30-minute hellfire and brimstone Jesus is a Savior every, every Sunday. And everybody in our congregations are saved, praise God. Or at least those that come regular. You know, but, uh, but, you know, when it comes to healing, we don't get nobody healed because we're afraid to preach it because we don't believe what it says. But now, I'm, I mean, I'd separated myself from the church a long time ago. I mean, I'm still going to church. I have my own church in Dallas. But I just started teaching the Word. And as I started teaching the Word, all these beautiful, wonderful things. Amen. Yeah. I believe He had called me to do that too. That's why He left me in the Baptist church and I thought the Lord was just fixing to break through when He healed four people in Bill Gothard's office over the next two weeks. You know, He's heavily involved with the Baptist. And as He healed all these people, I mean, starting with Andy Warner, healed him first standing right here five minutes and then another one and then another one and then down at uh, uh, Bob Johnson the owner of Sky Angel Satellite he, he was very critical and Bill went down there and he called me and I talked to them two on the phone and prayed for him and God healed him and that's why I went over to Big Sandy and then after I went to Big Sandy and spoke one time one hour and a half the next morning at the men's breakfast there was some kind of a conflict I didn't go because I knew what was going to happen. Because I knew I walked into a, a rattlesnake den, and I come in there with the Word of God, and people were going to get healed all over the place. So I knew the devil was going to raise his ugly head. I knew it. And he was going to do it through pastors and doctors of theology. And pastors of big churches crucified me next morning at the breakfast. But yet people were healed all over the place. And I didn't say a single thing that I didn't back up with the Word of God. But yet, and of course now then, you know, in fact, the other day when Bill... Bill told me that, you know, I couldn't, I, he'd had so many problems that I wasn't going to be able to speak in any more of his conferences. And I told him, okay, no problem. So I took them all off my website. Well, he called me four or five times before I ever answered the phone. And my secretary would take it, and I'd never call him back. And finally, I guess the fifth time, I told him, I said, well, I'll be at a certain place in the morning after 10. I can talk to you. So he called me and said, Thurman, I want you to come back. I want you to speak at one of my health and wellness centers. I said, I won't come back unless you let me speak at the ATI conferences. I said, if you let me speak at the ATI conferences, I said, I'll go do it. He said, no, what I really want to do, the health and wellness teaching, I want to put on Sky Angel Satellite. I said, no, I can't afford to come down there and spend five days with you for a, a two or three sessions. I said, if you want to put what I'm teaching on satellite, you get a camera crew together and you let me know, and I'll fly down there and I'll do an all-day teaching, and we'll make several one-hour sessions. Then you can put it on Sky Angel. I said, if you really want to do that, 
He told Thurman, I've learned more about faith from you in the last two or three months than I've learned from anybody I've ever met in the last 20 years. He said, I'm beginning to see how it works. I said, good, start acting on it. You know, and you'll see God do some wonderful things. 